0: And welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of the Cinemetropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we're swooping right past the string of mediocre MCU and DCE movies to talk about one of the most anticipated and buzzed-about animated movies of the year. That's right, today we're reviewing Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. We're going to start with an icebreaker question or a couple of Spidey themed icebreaker questions that should say before jumping into a spoiler free review where we also will provide a spoiler free verdict. But in this episode, I think it's safe to say we're probably going to spend most of the discussion in the spoiler section. Now, I can't swing around Manhattan on my own. You know, mm-hmm. every Peter Parker's got to have a a Felicia Harding. Yeah. And I would say in this relationship, I'm the Felicia Harding and LeBron Chapman, my co host and the award winning filmmaker, is the real Spidey man. So, uh,
1: and wait, wait, which universe? Which verse? uh, Yeah, that's a good question. It's fine. It's fine.
0: You get to choose. (laughs) There's so many to choose from. Oh,
1: I don't even know. Man. (laughs) Definitely the dino one, probably the dinosaur Spidey. Oh,
0: the dinosaur Spidey. Uh, Well, LeBron Chapman, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Listen, guys. I've been waiting – one of the things I've been looking forward to uh, about this movie uh, is that um, for some reason Spider-Man talk is always more fun than most other superhero uh, talk. And one person in particular I've been really curious about what he thinks about this movie because I know how he felt about Into the Spider-Verse, the previous film, is um, the semi – he's a comic book scholar. He's a semi-retired podcast host of several podcasts. One of them you've probably heard of, an animated discussion where we – I. Was a co-host with him where we talked about Batman and Superman, the animated series. He also hosted Listen Up A-Holes and In the Gutter. Joshua Unruh. Joshua, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematics, sir. Thank you very much for having me. I'm pleased to be here. It's been way too long. I can't wait for you to just take us all to school on <laughs> literally all of the Easter eggs that I'm sure that are in the movie. Um, I'm curious about how many of them are real Easter eggs and how many of them are just like total made up fan fiction, but they, they kind of play it off like it's real. So much to talk about. And last but certainly not least, I'm very excited to be rejoined by resident superhero person. <laughs> uh, this time it's animated, though. It uh, uh, from Geek Girl Features, Chelsea Raderman. Chelsea, welcome back.
2: Hello. I'm so happy to be here.
0: So before we get into all of the Webhead talk, we have a few programming announcements to share. So this review for Across the Spider-Verse is publishing earlier than our normal Thursday time frame. That's right, listeners, you're getting treated to a Monday episode. And the reason that is is because starting on Tuesday, that's tomorrow, if you're listening on the day of release, we're beginning our exclusive coverage of the Dead Center Film Festival. So every day this week following today, We'll be hosting an exclusive interview with filmmakers playing their films at the festival. Additionally, we'll be releasing even more podcasts and written essays from a team of writers, including uh, recurring cinematic schematic guests, Daniel Bokemper, Joe Light, and Chris Schultz throughout the festival. All of that will be found at thecinematropolis.com. So if you're in Oklahoma and you're, and you're familiar with Dead Center, maybe you're attending, maybe you can't attend for whatever reason, but want to kind of keep your fingers on the pulse of what's going on, you can follow all of our uh, work covering Dead Center at thecinematropolis.com. Uh, Again, if you're an Oklahoma listener and you don't have plans next weekend, I hope you'll consider supporting the festival by purchasing a badge or individual ticket for the more than 160 films playing at this year's festival. It's right over at deadcenterfilm.org. Now, Laurent Chapman, we don't talk about this on the show too often, but you, sir, are actually one of the Dead Center programmers. Uh, Maybe for our listeners who aren't as familiar or tuning in for the first time, could you tell us a little bit bit about your role at Dead Center and what's going to make this year
1: really special uh sure absolutely um so i for uh, several years have been just kind of an adjunct um um, programmer for the festival but they in the last two years gave me an official title as the pride programmer and since that i'm taking a lot of films that are dealing with queer and lgbi lgbtqia films and content and uh, kind of sifting through them and picking the ones that i think are the most substantial or the most um impactful for the festival um on the one end, there's a lot of pressure being the sole voice of the queer community at Dead Center Film mm-hmm. Festival. But on the other, you know, it's I am thankful that they have at least created a platform for somebody that they knew that they weren't the best people to sift through these kinds of films to pick what was best for everyone to see. So they've at least done some homework in, in, in providing that opportunity for me. And so um, that is about the extent of the kinds of – I watch all the films because – there are, I have access to the portal, so I get to see films before they come out. So I've seen many of the exciting films that are going to be here this year. Um, and one in particular that I'm very excited about is Hell Half No Fury, um, because um, I fe- I'm featured in you it. You are in the film. I, I have <laughs> seen,
0: <I've laughs> seen the film, and it is a delightful role.
1: I am in the film. I am, I play a nosy neighbor with my good friend, uh, Yusuf me, with the Film Commission. Um, it was a blast to play with, and then obviously to be... There alongside, um, you know, some of my favorite filmmakers in the state, you know, Jacob Layton Burns and Zachary Burns. It's his debut. Um, and then obviously, obviously most people are excited for um, Killers of the Flower Moon later on this year. Um, and we're being graced with uh, Lily Gladstone's presence um, in honor of um, Fancy Dance, which will also be playing there. We also got a really cool, um, uh, I guess you call it a raunchy raunchy. It's kind of a raunchy sex comedy but um, but from a queer uh, lens is Bottoms, um, which nice. we pulled from uh, South by Southwest, which we'll also be playing at the tail end of the festival to uh, Truth and Advertising.
0: So many good films and um, I, I, you mentioned several of the standouts specifically from outside the state. We also have um, a number of locally produced films and um, we uh, – here on the Cinema Metropolis – Uh, Several of our, me and several of the writers, are part of the Oklahoma Film Critics Circle who um, help judge a couple of the categories. And uh, anyway, it's just super exciting to see a the amazing films we bring from outside the state. But there's also a lot of homegrown filmmakers here who just like every year get better and better, and it's harder and harder to to choose. In in many ways, we're seeing
1: all these people grow throughout the years, and so that's what's exciting to see them on their second, third, and fourth films, and Mm -hmm. just seeing how. We get to watch them kind of birth into the artists that they are. And then it's just a great way to come out and support local local film, local local artists, because this is kind of the, you know what I mean, that, that ground that they're, they're they're playing in their roots in. So you'll be like, you saw it here first, you know. So Dead Center is a little, you know, it's grown every year. It's gotten bigger every year. And so it's nice to see, you know, how far the festival has come even in the last five years. So
0: Yeah. And this one's going to be the first year that's like sort of fully backed on site. It's been a hybrid couple of years. So anyway, listeners, if you're curious and learning more and you're here in Oklahoma City and you don't have plans next weekend, you can buy a badge which will get you all access to all any of the films uh, as well as the exclusive parties. Or if you just say, hey, I'm not really into all the extra stuff and I just want to see a movie, you can also buy individual tickets. All of that over at deadcenterfilm.org. Now, with that said, we're going to be cranking out. A lot of podcasts, a lot of written content over at cinematropolis.com. So what that means is we're going to take a little R&R on this show. So for the remainder of June after Dead Center, we're going to be on a short hiatus for a few weeks. I think it's going to be about three or four weeks. And I know you're saying, but June is so packed with more movies to talk about. Some of them might be great. Some of them might be terrible. We're really not sure. There's things like Elemental, the latest Pixar film. Uh, there's The Flash, which weirdly is getting crazy amounts of positive. Buzz. Uh, then you also have Indiana Jones and the, D- the Dial of Destiny. I was really excited about it, and then the buzz came out, and I was like, now I'm way less excited about it. <laughs> um, there are so many anticipated movies. The question is, are they good? Are you going to talk about it on the show? Well, fear not. Feel, fear not. We are going to be regrouping following the Fourth of J- the July weekend to catch up on all the films uh, that we watched during the break before winding up for what appears to be a really exciting July. We have Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 on July 12th. And then, of course, I would argue the biggest showdown of the summer this year. That's right. July 21st, it's Oppenheimer versus Barbie, baby. Which one yes. Which one is going to be the box office victor? I just found out Oppenheimer this week is three hours long and rated R. So who's to say? <laughs> who's to say? Uh, lastly, I know, so many announcements. More announcements than uh, usual. Um, I will be attending Oklahoma's largest pop culture convention, SoonerCon 31, on Friday, June 30th, and Saturday, July 1st. So for those of you who are not familiar, SoonerCon is a collaborative, 100% volunteer-organized effort backed by the 501c3 nonprofit, Future Society of Central Oklahoma. The convention brings fans, creatives, and academic professionals, artists, authors, musicians, uh, small and large businesses, and community uh, members together in Norman, Oklahoma – uh, I want to say it's. It brings in foot track of like anywhere from like three to five thousand people a year, and it keeps getting bigger. Uh, it's always a fun time. Um, I will be there. I will be on panels. Which panels, you may ask? Well, stay tuned to our social media channels: uh, Twitter at the Cinematrop and Facebook.com/slash the Cinematropolis, and yeah, probably Instagram because as Twitter becomes even more of a dumpster fire by the day. Honestly, uh, we're leaning more into our Instagram stories for uh, breaking news. So, check all those social media channels out today. Last but certainly not least, wait and review us. Not going to give you the pitch again. Let's get to our icebreaker questions. <laughs> Let's get to our icebreaker questions. So, guys, did you know? I didn't until I actually sat down and counted. There are now, if you, if you count this film, there have now been 10 big screen Spider Man movies since. 2002's Toby Maguire. So unfortunately that does mean Dom Toretto beats Spidey to the to the to the 10 movie finish line. Mm-hmm. However, there's three Toby films. Toby Maguire, two Andrew Garfield, the amazing films. Th- if we don't count the Avengers films or Civil War, there have been three air quotes, and Joshua knows what I mean, air quotes standalone. Tom Holland Spider-Man films, basically Spider-Man films. Yeah, you know, yeah. More he's or less. the stu- he is the main character in those. It's On the title card. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that's <a> truer. <laughs> that is a truer assessment. <laughs> that's, that's, that's accurate. And then um, two Miles Morales uh, featured films. Um, so I thought it might be fun. And Chelsea you and I did a similar thing when we reviewed No Way Home, so I made sure to not to ask the same questions. Good. We're going to first rank our top three Spider-Man films, removing across the Spider-Verse. I want to save our thoughts for that here in a minute. So we'll remove that one from this batch. But are, outside are of Are we
1: that, also removing Into the Spider-Verse? Like that's, no, no, that no, no. Into the Spider-Verse is okay. good. It's okay. fair game.
0: Just yeah. not a, not the one that we, we're going to review. Okay, okay. copy that. Uh, and then we're going to pick our bottom two films. And then I would, lastly, we're going to go through favorite Spider-Man specific screen villain. Starting with Icebreaker number one, what are your top three Spider-Man films? Chelsea Radman, I'll start with you.
2: Okay, so out of the gate, I'm just going to break the rules. I'm so sorry. Um, Because we have four initial entries at this point. If you count all of our animated and everything. So I'm a big fan of all the first movies. Um, And I feel like people generally hate whenever you get to the third and the fourth initials. Because you're hitting all the same story beats. Um, But I really love it. Because it really sets the tone for everything. And you get to see how they're interpreting those characters a little differently. What different powers they're gonna have. So it really sets the tone for the whole franchise. So I really love all the initial entries.
0: So n- the number one, so that's Spider Man 2002. Mm-hmm. That's The Amazing Spider Man 2012. Mm-hmm. And then that's uh, Homecoming. Homecoming, Homecoming. 20, is that 2018 or 2019? Somewhere in there. Or no, 20, I don't know. We don't know anymore. Somewhere in there. Uh, and then Across the Spider Verse yep. 2019. Okay. Yep. So favorite three first entries: mm. LaRon Chapman.
1: Yes, um, I tend to agree with uh, Chelsea, um, with exception of the third one, unfortunately. Um, I think Spider-Man 2 is my favorite of all of the Spider-Man movies just in general. I think that was the first one where I think critics, audiences alike kind of came to a convergence finally and said that maybe there's something to these, these uh, superhero movies. They're not just kid fodder. They're actually good. They could be good cinema, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think remember Roger Ebert, uh, you know, had, was not much on board with many of of them up to that point. He didn't even like the '80s Batman movies, you know. Like he mm-hmm. just he finally said, "With this, and this is the first great superhero movie I've seen." And I agree with him at that point. But um, I think Spider Man Two, um, and then Spider Man, um, Spider Man One, um, and then I like Into the Spider Verse.
0: Okay, all right. So two per- Toby
1: picks. And then one into the yeah.
0: yeah Miles Morales animated okay, Joshua Unruh. What are your top three Spider-Man films? Into the Spider Verse is number one with a bullet. Like
3: it just come on. Uh, it mm-hmm. it's been the best superhero movie period, which is hard for me as a Winter Soldier lover to say. But it's <laughs> it's amazing. It's pretty
0: incredible. Um, pretty amazing. But if it's-
3: you will, uh, my my second favorite is Spidey Two. Toby Maguire's second mm-hmm. outing. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of uniformly beloved. Like it's mm-hmm. it's the the villain's great. The uh, T- Toby is great doing a 60s style Spider Man in the early two thousands, and they just nail all of that. And it's like it's scary and it's funny and um, yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. Spider Man two. And then a controversial pick for my top three. My third spot: Amazing Spider Man, the first Andrew Garfield outing. I'm
0: gonna pause right here. I'm. St- Make the case. I'm so happy that you like that movie more than pretty much anybody I know, because I like it, but you like like it more than I do. And uh, continue anyway. I'm just because most people knock both. They package both Garfield movies together and knock both of them. And I don't. And think they that's forget
1: fair. that the second one was not the first one. Exactly. I I think that's the biggest
3: (laughs) biggest strike against Amazing Spider-Man is that Amazing Spider-Man 2 exists. Yeah. If you just go to Amazing Spider-Man and recognize that you're not getting Raimi's Mm Spider-Man, it's really good. Uh, It's a sort of, I I don't know, like uh, a more... Realistic is maybe not quite the right word, but a more grounded, gritty, like angry teenager version of Peter Parker, which I don't want to trade anything from Toby's very G golly whiz 60s Peter. But if you go to the earliest comics, like he is angry and on the edge of being a supervillain for like the first year of his existence. More than once he thinks to himself, you know, maybe I should just quit saving people and knock over a (laughs) bank. I mean, like this. That's not an exaggeration. That's in like issue two. Um, so getting a, you know, kind of a, a a more just like an angrier take and and but then that it swoops out of that. Right. Like the lesson that he learns uh, through Uncle Ben is not just the great power angle, but it's also like, yeah, revenge sucks. Because if I hadn't been out here trying to get all vengeance, then these other things wouldn't have got, gotten away from me. And also, let's be real. There is not a. Spider-man and love interest duo better than that Peter and Gwen yeah. like bar none it's not even I will I will be taking no questions
0: I, I know how to get best chemistry by 100 I, I yeah
3: which which again comes to the amazing too being so rough is that they like just squander all of that they pay off none of the the opportunities created by the first movie
2: I think that they were like mid like real life breakup too so
0: oh. Was that really? Even better, yeah. Um, I I have to say, I have to say, too, and um, you ever think that maybe Andrew Garfield and Henry Cavill got together in a bar and just said, man, I I showed up, I knew the assignment, I gave the better than the movie, I I gave a performance so much better than the movie (laughs) that I was in, especially for the second one. I I always thought Andrew Garfield got short-shrifted. I'll just put it that way. I I think he is the most talented we're gonna remove the animation. In terms of live action, I think he's the most talented actor to don the role, and I th- also think Emma Stone is the most talented actress to be as a primary love interest on the big screen. Yeah, Not taking sure. away from Kirsten Dunst or Tilda sure. McGuire. Who I no, who we were great.
1: They were great. But, yeah. Yeah. but it's
0: just, yeah, you've you've got acceptable
3: levels of charisma to be a romantic pairing in a movie. Mm-hmm. That's the Raimi Spider Man. We have it, and then you have the oh. Oh, I'm just in love with both of you adorable Dorks trying to figure out how to go on a date yeah. is it's a whole yeah. it's whole next level. I feel, I, like,
1: re- I feel like the Amazing Spider-Man too was essentially for me, it was a rom com that just got real chaotic there towards the end. <laughs> the um, studio
0: just didn't know what they wanted. And, yeah. and that's what I think yeah. that, I think that is one of the worst cases of I mean that's like a one of the worst yeah. cases of studio meddling where it's just like you can clear uh, see that the director so Mark Webb, right? I think mm-hmm. uh, he was going for the rom-com like yeah, modern day up, like, John the, Hughes type thing, you know, it, it
1: kind of occupies about two thirds of the story to mm-hmm. be honest with you. I was like, I was like, this is a spider. man There's no action in it, but I'm, I'm to one extent on one extent, I'm okay with that. But if, if it had come together cohesively, mm-hmm. it did not.
0: <laughs> but, uh, and also you can see with all the alternate endings, like it's not just yeah. like, oh, they left this one part out. It's like fundamentally different endings they shot because they just didn't know yeah. what they wanted to do with that movie.
3: So, my last bit of agreement that Andrew Garfield is probably the most talented person to wear a Spider Man mask is that I found, ah, uh, oh, hell, what's even the third MCU when? Tom Holland, yeah, the third no, one. No and, way uh, home. No way home. No way home. Mm. You know, acceptable. There was no punch there until
0: Garfield shows Garfield up. Garfield yep.
3: saves Mary Jane, and well, or talks about not saving his. Gu- mm. Just I, that choked me up. Like in yeah. it, yeah. I couldn't. I had actual emotional reaction to an MCU movie for the first time in. Literal years and years and years. Dozens of movies, I don't know. And it was from a non-Marvel movie. And that Garfield was just fucking selling
0: it. Just killing it. Oh, yeah. It's like he's been waiting for a chance to like bring the character back. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to be pretty similar to Joshua in that. And I've uh, really thought a lot about this. Um, I'm going to go with End of the Spider-Verse as number one because that movie has only appreciated every time I've rewatched it. Mm-hmm. We just rewatched it earlier this week. Um, I rewatched most of the I – th- I watched all the Tobey Maguire films and in Into the Spider-Verse before No Way Home. I didn't get to the Garfield films, unfortunately, or uh, the second Garfield film at least. And um, I just think as much as I love Spider-Man 2 and it's always going to probably be have the nostalgia going for it, Just the fact that Into the Spider Verse took a character that we were all so overly familiar with and did something so radically different. Not just radically different from Spider Man, but just so radically different from what Marvel's doing or DC's Mm -hmm. doing. They honestly, in in my uh, humble opinion, changed the game for animation. Mm -hmm. When you think about studio animation, everyone's been chasing what Pixar's been doing for, what, 20 plus years? Mm -hmm. And this is the first time where I was like, they said, just did something. Wildly different that we'd never seen before. And, and you're seeing other the influence of that movie now. We've got a Ninja Turtles movie coming out later this summer. Not sure if it's going to be good, but it looks like... They're doing it. The look of, is good, mm-hmm. if nothing else.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, we even just had um, the Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. Yeah. Again, a movie that has no right to be very good whatsoever <laughs> actually right. the ended first up being one that no, great. it was
1: terrible. It's so, but
0: but they leaned into like a very non-traditional, mm-hmm. non-Pixar. Like they leaned into the storybook art direction. And there's a better film. A much better film, so I just I, I really think that uh, Into the Spider Verse works as a superhero film is is really challenging the status quo, um, and also elevating the character and also elevating studio backed animated films. Yeah. So, uh, so for that it's number one. The number two, Spider Man Two, for all the reasons we've already said, fantastic film. Uh, one of, I would argue one of the films I would put in the list of air quotes perfect, not perfect as in there's no flaws or whatsoever in that i don't think there's anything they could add to it that probably would have made it better yeah other than Mm -hmm. maybe better representation but i mean that's true it was 2004 you know um and this last one was a tough one because i i my inherent gut is to go double down on nostalgia because i do still like the first Mm spider-man because of well mostly because of warm defoe if i'm being honest (laughs) yeah uh him and uh and despite being problematic i thought the chemistry between um, Toby and uh, James Franco were, was really palatable too. Um, I'm going to go uh, with my number three. I'm <laughs> going to say homecoming with the caveat. Yeah, I know. Josh is giving me a look. I knew he wouldn't <laughs> like that. Um, and it's tough because I went back and forth between that and Spider-Man one. And the reason I didn't pick in Garfield, all of those are kind of like pretty close. The first to Spider-Man. I went with this one because I felt like it nailed the in high school, John Hughes kind of vibe mm-hmm. that they were also, I felt they were trying to cover in Amazing 2 and that we didn't get enough of in the uh, McGuire films. Mm-hmm. This yeah. kid's in high school. He's going to prom. He asks, takes the girl on a date. I think the biggest problem with it, frankly, is the all the Tony Stark MCU tie-ins. Mm-hmm. I think the movie mm-hmm. would have been better if they would have downplayed that a little further. Um, but if you, you strip that away, I think there's still a really strong story mm-hmm. about... Uh, a guy who's kind of learning how to wield his powers responsibly and be a teenager. Yeah. So that's that's where I land. Uh, let's go to bottom two. So bottom two Spider-Man films. And, uh, LeBron, I'll start with you on this one.
1: Uh, no shocker here. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 uh, gets the top spot. And then the next one for me is uh, is Spider-Man 3, uh, Raimi's. Um I think – and I say that without saying I don't hate that one. I just think it's, um, comparatively to the first two, I think the first one's a great origin and the second one's a great expanse. It was, it had an emotional impact on me. Um, and the third one to me felt top heavy and, and disjointed and there's too many villains and it's just chaotic and then it just didn't bring Raimi's trilogy to a satisfying close for me. And that sucks because he really kind of started it, you know, so, I think that's probably why, but I think on its own as a standalone, if you just watch it as for what it is, it's probably not terrible. Um, But um, for that, for the reasons that I've mentioned, I think that it's, it's, it's got to be lower on the list. So,
0: well, and also uh, for context, I mean, we were teenagers when that movie came out, right? That's true. And the, the hype from two Mm. and the way two ends is so So high. So good. Yeah. And then for that to be the delivery, it was definitely like a, yeah. I actually think that movie is way better than it gets credit for, but it definitely was a disappointment at the time. Sure. Right. Um, Joshua under what are your lowest – two lowest rated Spider-Man films? Homecoming
3: and Far From Home.
0: Okay. (laughs) They're
3: barely Spider-Man movies and they're just overshadowed by a lot of MCU mediocrity. That was definitely the ramp up to mediocrity time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tony Stark adds nothing and detracts everything. I mean they're (laughs) – like Amazing Spider-Man 2 is legitimately a worse movie than either one of those, but I'd still rather watch it than that's the MCU mm-hmm. ones. They're, it, they're better technically, but they don't pay anything off that I want to see in a Spider-Man you know, movie.
0: Th- there's something to be said about a movie that's interesting – even if it's or bad. Even if it's bad. Yeah. You know, it's like why when the, Big Eternals, swings. It's like when the Eternals came out, I'm not going to sit here. I'm certainly not going to sit here and tell you why it was a good movie because it wasn't. It was kind of a disaster. Yeah. But you know what? I was like, this is probably the most experimental Marvel's been in a while. That doesn't make it a good movie. But if you said, hey, you want to watch uh, another Black Widow or three more mediocre garbage fire Eternals movies, I'd probably say... As long as they're not three hours long. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if they keep swinging and they hit one of these. <laughs> one yeah. of these, it might be good. Yeah. It might be good. Chelsea, how about you? Bottom two.
2: I feel like it's like a requirement to say Spider-Man 3. I mean, it, it it hurts my soul when I when I watched it. It's just real cringe. And I feel like maybe like that at that point he was his own villain. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. the whole time. Um,
0: Studio <laughs> meddling, once again, oh, by the way. That. Yeah. yeah, that was rough. Uh, Avri, Avri Arad, who is still a part of these movies, uh, notoriously was the one who pressured Sam Raimi to, to insert Venom into the film. Even though Raimi tried very hard to say, I don't understand the humanity of the character. I don't want to put him in the movie. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, had, to, had to get him in there. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then for my other one, it's really hard to pick between the three MCUs because my problem is the same problem, which is like, yes, Spider-Man's on the title card, but there's so right. much interference. It probably would be No Way Home just because that one is so much more MCU than it is Spider-Man, Like at least with Homecoming and Far From Home or a little bit more based With Spider Man, we have some of the pieces that pick into it, but then we're three is just setting up multiverse. Like it's we don't even care about Spider Man anymore.
3: (laughs) Well, to be fair, we care about the better Spider Man.
0: Yeah, Tom Holland is the least interesting (laughs) Spider Man in that movie. Absolutely, I I would I would agree with that. And and frankly, his story. You know, I, I had a great time with No Way Home. I don't think it's a good movie. Uh, the experience was amazing. It's kind of a mess, honestly. Uh, it's not my bottom two, though, because uh, I have too many warm, fuzzy feelings, and I get the Andrew Garfield moment. I get even just the Tobey Maguire being like, yeah, me and MJ worked it out. I was like, you know, just dumb yeah. stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, you removed that gimmick, though.
1: the, whole the whole Oh, shot. yeah. That's the, that's the thing. Yeah, well, here's the
0: thing is, if you go back and watch them, the second movie, Far From Home, is definitely setting up a craven the hunter mm. everyone knows peter parker's identity ever the world's gonna hunt him down but it's like they saw the kind of love and praise they got from into the spider-verse and they're like wait a second what if we just like redid the whole idea <laughs> um that's what it feels like to me because they even the first third of uh no way home feels like its own thing separate from when the other spider-men yes. show up like it's mm-hmm. just a radically different movie
3: um, which is a shame because what I was hoping for, not to wildly derail to what could have been, but I was expecting the Craven movie. And if you imagine that you get a two hour Spider-Man movie, that's basically Die Hard, but Manhattan is the whole building yes. because there's nowhere for him to hide. And he's got to look out for the people that he loves because his secret identity is out and the whole two hour movie is like one day. Like the day that he's trying to stay one step ahead of Craven. Yes. Interesting. Good. Give it to me. Why I thought the MCU would do that? Something as you know interesting and well, good and that, as that. I, I can't imagine, I, but
0: I do. That was okay. And that okay. This leads me to my bottom two because my bottom two are yeah, Amazing Spider-Man two. Just because talking about things that could have been. I just yeah. The there were so many ingredients that were already there. All they had to do was just tell one story. Yeah, And they, they started out in the first, probably a third or so. I'm like, okay, I get what this movie's about. And then in the second and third, it just is like more and more and more villains, more like setups for the Sinister Six movie, like all this stuff that I just don't care about. And it really, really undermines the character so much so that when we get the spoilers for the 2014 film, Death of Gwen Stacy, I'm sad, but I'm like, this should have hit like way yeah. more than it. I mean, I was sad. I don't want to say I didn't emote, but I was, That should, that's supposed to be the biggest mistake of Spider-Man's life outside of Uncle Ben mm. is Gwen Stacy and uh it didn't fi- quite feel like it hit that level. So yeah, that's on there and I have to say far from home. Now here's the thing, caveat. I actually like a lot of that movie. Not disagreeing with any of you saying about the MCU <laughs> shenanigans though. The stuff I like are Frank God, the line. I'm so sorry. Mm. I really think Jake Gyllenhaal does a lot with the nothing role. Uh, yeah, he, he, I, yeah, he, he's he, absolutely. He elevates the material. Um, yes. And I thought Mysterio, having grown up with the character, was a character I always wanted to see on the big screen. Yeah. So it was cool to see them do that. Yeah. Um, but my biggest problem with it is, is it? It's another one where it feels like it starts off like here's the high school Spider-Man movie, and then at two J.K. It's an MCU crossover film again, and didn't feel so great.
3: Indy. The ongoing unintended theme of abusive father figures that Peter should punch and instead apologizes to, it just, like, it was gross enough in the first one. But to have him do it again to Nick Fury, I'm just like, no, punch these abusive, (laughs) air quotes, father figures in the dick and swing away.
0: (laughs) But that wasn't really Nick Fury.
3: Ah. I refuse
0: to deal with it. <laughs> oh, don't! Worry. Should no no one should be willing to deal with well, that. Gu- well, guess what? Secret Wars is just about to drop on Disney Plus so after this since twenty nineteen. Cool. Yeah. We've been wondering what was that stinger about. We're about to find they out. They are going to have to lie about viewing numbers so hard. <laughs> <laughs> last, honestly, uh, last icebreaker question: Who is your favorite Spider-Man specific screen villain we've seen so far? So again, I, I want to remove any Avengers non-Spider-Man villains the table so any of the ones from no way home all all good all fair game just not uh thanos or anything like that (laughs) josh we'll start with you very very
3: close here uh and i think nostalgia is honestly what dragged me over the line it was down to uh melina's dr octopus Mm -hmm. and um the tombs uh, michael keaton's tombs yeah vulture Mm -hmm. from um homecoming um and again, I think it's the rest of the movie going along, like rising up with Molina's Doc Ock, whereas the rest of the movie is trailing behind Keaton's vulture. So I have to yeah. go with uh with Dr. Octopus, Spider-Man 2.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, amazing pick. Really heartfelt performance. Again, in a comic book movie, which, you know, at the time, it, we hadn't seen a lot of really like. Yeah. Deeply, char- deeply tragic characters uh, pre- uh, presented that way. Chelsea, what? What's your pick?
2: That's really hard because uh, yeah, I really wanted to like just lean Doc Ock, but um, I really like um, Risa Fawn's Lizard. Ah, mm. nice. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It's good. It is that that through line. I think when we're we're going into Garfield's Spider Man, but it's like you know, Lizard's not necessarily like a villain. Like he, he has best intentions and then obviously everything happens and then he just, it's gets a little twisted, but. He's like yeah. a, he's
0: like a less malicious Norman Osborne from 2002. You yes. know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. like, like, cause cause he's, his intentions are at least noble and like well-meaning and mm-hmm. they just, an and then they get twisted. Occurs. And then yeah. Yeah,
2: and it, I think it's, I think it's a really good lesson for like Spider-Man, which is like, you know, you can have great intentions, but you need to make sure that they're like based in reality. And you know, mm-hmm. you, it, the best intentions can still go very wrong.
0: Absolutely. Also, fun fact: uh, Amazing Spider-Man one, probably at least top three Stanley cameos. By the way, that's it. Fight <laughs> a, a sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 LaRon Chapman, favorite Spider-Man villain. It,
1: it is Doc Ock for me. Spider-Man two specifically, Alfred, that that Alfred Molina. Um, and I think it's because it's the first one that like predating, you know, like Heath Ledger's Joker, where I actually was invested in the villains um cause and, and and motivations and and had empathy for you know even though they were doing the wrong thing there's kind of this you know what i mean like normally the villains kind of throw away and have felt like they gave him a, an, a depth that was kind of uncommon to the villains to mcu films up to that point so um so i would say doc ock takes it for me as well
0: very nice Um, mine, I, Doc Ock is my defunct. So if you point it out to my head, that's probably what I'm going to say. But for, for the sake of kind of a little bit of diversity, close two-way tie, um, definitely nostalgia. But I think the first one, which will be my primary pick, which is the Green Goblin, the, one of the things about No Way Home that I did like was it gave us more Mm. of, I know it's the greatest hits, but. You know, we only got – we really only got Willem Dafoe proper and one full movie before that. So seeing him show up and like mm-hmm. – and in, in this one, because of how much our understanding of comic book movies have evolved and what we're willing to accept have evolved since, you know, 2002, he goes full ham in No Way mm-hmm. Home, whereas he's going pretty – crazy. he's going pretty over the top in theatrical in 2002 – he, he he ratchets it up even more in No Way Home. And I, and I just love it. It's cackling. It's maniacal. It's a Joker-type performance. Mm-hmm. And he knows exactly what the assignment is and just nails it 110%. I will also say, uh, again, this, this is where it gets dicey. And this one's definitely more the nostalgia draw. Um, yeah, James Dr- Franco's a very uh, fairly problematic figure right now. Um, and that's really hard. Uh, it makes it harder to appreciate his earlier films. Uh, but... I really thought he had him and Toby Maguire had some incredible chemistry.
1: Yeah,
0: and I, despite the fact that Spider-Man Three gets a lot wrong or at least gets a little distracted, I thought one of the things that did the best was the Harry and uh, Peter Parker stuff. So, yeah, uh, Harry Osborn from the original trio, uh, trio is up there, up there. Okay. If you remove Doc, Doc Ock from the mix, so yeah. Well,
1: it's so, like oh, go, oh, go. Go. I was going to say really quickly that um, just because Jake Gyllenhaal is not a good person. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying that we, on Taylor Swift's behalf. I'm saying on my own. Um, <laughs> um, and just because James Franco is problematic, and just because Jonathan Majors is is an abuser, doesn't mean they're not talented actors. They're just not good humans. That's yeah, all. That's
0: all I'll say. And it's and with every one of them, it's always a case by case of okay. How much of this am I willing to accept to say I still like the performance versus like, no, I just can't watch it anymore. I don't I think James Franco, based on what I've heard, he's pretty close to that line. But the thing that the thing that sucks is the amount of I loved his stuff. Yeah, Even outside of Spider-Man, I just generally like, I mean, Pineapple Express, this is the end. Like, there was a bunch of things I liked him in. Um, Spring Breakers, like, yeah.
1: I feel like talent should just be reserved for good people. I feel like people who are, (laughs) you know, like, let's separate those things. Let's just, like, you know.
3: I want to speak to, like, a a sort of fundamental superhero thing. Because if you listen to most of our favorite Spider-Man villains, they're opposite number villains. They are basically Spider-Man with breaking slightly bad. Mm-hmm. Like science is dangerous and difficult and can mess you up. Spider-Man, true for Spider-Man, also true for uh, yep. for the lizard, also mm-hmm. true for um, Green Goblin, also true for Dr. Octopus. And our other honorable mentions, like uh, like Tombs, this is a working class guy who winds yep. up doing supervillain shit to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. And we can see that as an equal but opposite to very, you know, down on his luck, poor Peter Parker. Absolutely. So yeah, opposite number villains are always a great go-to. And it's interesting to me that into the Spider-Verse we do not have anything like that. But that's because the Kingpin is just an excuse for our three main characters to deal with their inner demons instead. Absolutely. You know, Mm -hmm. which is
0: not bad. That's it's just harder.
3: Yeah. To, to then externalizing it into a specific, you know, a specific person.
0: Well, definitely. And and I will say, I'm glad you mentioned the Kingpin. That was a character I had long wanted to see on the big screen, just because he's a lot different, yeah. As you say, uh, and it was a good use of the character because he's really not that interesting on the surface. You know, he's a mob boss essentially. If we're going to boil it down, I don't oversupply. Yeah. You know, w- Wilson Fisk has a lot of interesting things going on. But I mean, if you're going to put him in a movie. Kind of the the pitch is, oh, he's a mob boss. He's got access to the criminal underworld, and he can hire all these cronies or whatever. Yeah. Like that's, um. So I thought the way they used him into the Spider Verse was really clever because it's not about him. Yeah, a good
3: traditional Spider Man villain. Um, so it's not like out of left field, but also, and he's great. Like when he's on screen, but he's also not the point. Right. He is right. the excuse for the point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Also vo- uh, voiced by um Lee Schreiber.
3: Really uh, yeah. nice, nice touch. Just an unexpected. Well, again, there's so much in that movie that's just
0: like, wow, that didn't have to work that well. Damn. sure did, though. (laughs) Listeners, what are your picks? Top three Spider-Man films, bottom two Spider-Man films, favorite Spider-Man villain? Let us know by hitting us up on social media. It's over at Facebook.com forward slash Cinematropolis, or you can email me at cinematropolis at gmail.com for a chance to have your answers read on the show. Let's get into our spoiler-free review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. My name is Miles Morales. I'm Brooklyn's one and only Spider-Man. And things are going great.
3: Oh, yeah. You were supposed to be her. Bye. All right. Whatever. Whatever. Wow. Whatever?
0: So are you like a cow or a Dalmatian? I am the spot. That's <laughs> <laughs> not funny. Don't Don't do that.
2: Miles' grades are pretty good. A in AP physics. That's my little man. And a B in Spanish. What? Ooh, okay. Miles, are you trying to... that's what I'm see. I gotta go. All right, bye. He's lying to you, and I think you know it.
0: What's up, danger? All right, so let's do this one last time. According to IMDb, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is described as Miles Morales catapults across the multiverse where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. When the heroes clash on how to handle the new threat, Miles must redefine what it means to be a hero. So a few fun tidbits about this movie. Uh, Number one, this film is actually directed by a trio of directors, which is... Fairly uncommon. I, I don't mm. see it very often. Usually, when that happens, that means someone got fired and they brought on one or <laughs> a, a duo to replace them. Not, not, not so much in this case. And, and here's—I I really want to call these people out because I quite like the stuff they've worked on. You might not know their name, but they're very talented people. So, uh, number one, uh, Joaquin Dos Santos. He's best known for his work in acclaimed animated projects. Uh, number one being Avatar: The Last Airbender and its follow-up series, The Legend of Korra. Very, really well-liked uh, shows before that, and Joshua and I uh, have another show we like, Justice League Unlimited. Oh, yeah. Uh, he also, I have not watched the show, but I've heard a lot of people really like it. He was uh, the executive producer on the Voltron Legendary Defender animated series on the Netflix, which, again, I haven't seen, but I've heard great stuff. And it definitely looks like it's from the same style. First season's Cor- very strong. Yeah. So you've seen the first season? I've seen
3: the first season. is really
0: strong. So that's your animation guy. This is the guy who clearly knows, especially action animation, I would say. Number two, Kemp Powers, best known for his work uh, on his play One Night in Miami, which was adapted to a feature film for Amazon and scored a Best Adapted Screenplay nomination before he moved on to write and co-direct Pixar's Soul alongside Pete Doctor, And that film, uh, that animated film won Best Animated Feature at the 2021 Academy Awards. Uh, so Kent Powers, more of a playwright background. Uh, and lastly, Justin K. Thompson, uh, a little less well-known, but he had previously worked as a production designer. Honestly, I looked at his IMDb on a lot of well-known projects, including some video games. Uh, but most notably, he did work on uh, Into the Spider-Verse and also The Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, one and two films. Uh, I'd also argue a pair of fairly underrated animation uh, animated films. So again, uh, Joaquin Dos Santos, Kent Powers, Justin K. Thompson, uh, this movie is a sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the first film, which was budgeted at $90 million, grossed 384.3, dollars 3 which uh, by certain Hollywood parameters is a, is definitely a success. Some would argue it's more of a modest success. Um, and then it re- also received universal acclaim, so a 97% Rotten Tomatoes score from critics with an audience score of 93% and also won Best Animated Feature at the 2019 Oscars. Uh, big one here. This film is budgeted at $100 million. And uh, actually, the, the early projections came out earlier today. It had, had, just in the U.S. alone is expected to cross $120 million opening weekend uh, this weekend, which for any animated film is pretty exceptional. I think it's like files at number like three or four. Um, but uh, really stellar. And uh, especially when you consider that across the Spider-Verse's runtime makes it one of the longest Spider-Man movies today, date, behind only... The amazing spider-man 2 and spider-man no way home uh animated movies typically aren't longer than two hours it's pretty rare right mm-hmm. so uh, the fact that it's making that kind of money with runtimes like that is interesting lastly important detail to note and we're going to talk about this across the spider-verse is the second film in this animated trilogy starring miles morales and gwen stacy the third film titled spider-man beyond the spider-verse is set to be released on march 29th 2024 not long not long
3: and yet also way too long <laughs> we'll get into it
0: we'll yeah. get into it uh so with that said given uh, want to reiterate this disclaimer given the amount of spoilery landmines surrounding most of the plot for this movie uh the spoiler free review is going to be fairly short But that said what are your overall thoughts on spider-man across the spider-verse the ron
1: chavin i'll start with you this felt like a bolt of electricity for me um, because, as you know, we've said it to where, you know, it's beating a dead horse. Mm-hmm. I have been so just underwhelmed with the MCU offerings as of Phase 4 is kind of, you know, with hit and miss. So, some, some of them are watchable and passable, but none of them memorable. Um, and this is like the first time in a really long time that I have— um, you know been reinvigorated to actually follow this franchise see what happens next um, And that's saying something, you know with so many what we're 30 some odd films in You know to for me to be excited about an MCU film again, you know, i um, obviously these movies make a lot of money So people show up for them um, But I think I've grown so fatigued with the formula. I think that's what's so exciting about this is that it has such a refreshing visual style um, the characters are interesting. The stakes are high, you know, um, and it just it has visual panache and originality. Um, and I'm just invested in it emotionally, which is not something I can normally say about these movies. So, I I think it's a triumph and a work of art. So, I, was very, I was very happy with it.
0: Love to hear that. Uh, disclaimer, because I know some people are going to split the hairs. Lar- widely, this would probably not be considered an MCU movie. Because it's a Sony-produced yeah, film. Yeah, that's fair. But now that's a little muddy because, <laughs> <There's> <laughs> as we see in this movie, but also in the way they try. So, Amy Pascal, the per, executive producer, is like, how far can I push it to convince people that I, yeah. this is part of the Marvel plan when it's absolutely not? But uh,
1: <laughs> If just, it doesn't count in that sense, then I will say it's the first time I'm excited about a comic book-themed film yeah. um, in a really long time.
0: Okay. Love to hear that. Chelsea Radiman.
2: Yeah, no, I, I loved it. Um, and really kind of, Josh talked, talked a little bit about it earlier, but, um, animation gives you so many opportunities to really focus on like the internal aspects of self-development and growth. And I really, I'm really loving miles like continuing journey throughout these two and then into hopefully the third one. But, um, cause when you're dealing with live action, it's so external because obviously you're not getting the internal monologues. You're not getting all of that extra information. Um, so I really just love how we're able to see how everything is affecting him more. Um and even not even necessarily about how much he's affecting the story, but how the story's affecting him. Um so I just really love the whole thing. Um and it's so layered and the visuals are amazing and it's just honestly, I don't see a lot of animation even like meeting close to the bar of this film.
0: Right. This this so firstly I would argue end of the spider verse. Put pushed the bar pretty far. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. This movie took that bar, pointed mm-hmm. at it, and laughed, and then like Raced leapfrogged <laughs> way past it. Yes. <laughs> we'll see. But Joshua's more skeptical. So well, I'm...
3: no, okay. First of all, it's beautiful. It's a it's a visual triumph. You're hundred percent right. It's the most emotional investment I've had in a superhero movie since into the Spider-Verse. Um, which was the first big emotional investment I'd had in a superhero movie for an uncomfortably long time. Uh and I mean I am superhero guy from the ground up. Like I know that those kinds of things are cap we're capable of those things. We're capable of multi-leveled, excuse me, multi-layered emotional investment action storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um so I love to see it. Uh and I do think that they are pushing boundaries with animation. I mean, I haven't seen the last couple of Pixar movies because they just look like Pixar movies. Mm. And so if the plot or the the hook isn't sticky enough for me, there's nothing for me, you mm. know, because uh, they look yeah. like what they're going to look yeah. like. Yeah. Right. Um, so I I do and I do really appreciate that the Spider-Men who have really different visual styles for whatever reason, um look really different uh that was something they you know they messed around with with spider ham yeah. and a little bit with uh Noir in the first yeah. film but they really push that hard 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 to the point where even their their own sound effects or uh their devices all look different have different effects um I do think it's so much that I'm it it neutrals out as far as the story is concerned it is the story is w- The story such as it is, check back here at the spoiler part. I can't talk about, I can only talk about the positive stuff here because all my negative stuff is really spoilery. Um, But uh, we, I'm never confused, right? Like there's so much going on, but I always know what I'm supposed to be looking at. But I don't think that all of that diversity of art style necessarily adds to it, which means it's more like a trap you're waiting to fall into, right? Like it could easily get in the way of whatever they're trying to do because there's so much of it. They did not fall into that trap in this movie, but I have concerns. concerns.
0: Yeah. So I um, I think it, so so I thought it added, and it, here's why. Let me put it this way. I don't think I've seen the way on a technical level, you would sometimes have five or six Spider-Men on the screen at the same time radically different art styles meet the cross media. They have, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's like, sometimes there's stop motion Spider-Man. Sometimes there's like poor polygon Spider-Man from video games from like 20 years ago. Um, sometimes there's the 2d animated (laughs) and it's not just, it's not just like that. They're there. It's that stuff like the frame rate is different for certain. And you're like Mm -hmm. the amount of technical wizardry outside of just the visual art direction, which is, yeah, I know. Overblown. Spectacular. Like it's I unfathomable to me how they pulled a lot yeah. of these off. Now Josh, I think you ask a valid question is how much is this actually adding to the story? And we'll talk more about that in the spoilers. I'm not sure how much it adds to the story, but it sure for me, it sure as hell added to the experience. Yeah. Oh, because, yeah, I
3: can't argue with that.
0: Because there was at least at least I mean, let's say a dozen times where I I thought to myself, if I wasn't audibly saying, wow, we're going, whoa, or how, what, you know, I would literally think I've never seen anything mm-hmm. like this before. Mm-hmm. And again, just in the superhero movies, but also even just studio films, yeah. blockbuster temple films, like it's so rare anymore where you feel like you see a magic trick where you're like, well, they just did that with CG or, you know, right. there's a there's mm-hmm. an easy explanation. Oh, they're in the volume. No, there were so many times where even though I understand how animation works, it's like, wait, so you're telling me. They did. How did they do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and just for me to have that thought, it's it, 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 it's the power of that's the power of power of cinema that takes me back and to keep like, up be with kid, it right? to like
1: have those those different tones and textures in the same frame. Because I think about it, like even like if we're looking at the old like the other MCU films and even Pixar, as you mentioned, like the animation and the action and, and stuff is not bad in these movies. It's just that it's very the same, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. It's very consistent you know it's mcdonald's you're going to get exactly what you pay for every single time and if you uh, if you like that then it's there you know so there's just something to the variety you know that that makes it a little bit more st- stimulating to to your extent to what you're saying i think at some point it could be overstimulating um if it becomes a distraction from the story moving or forward or too
0: much or too much of a gimmick too which much a, of a it gimmick also risks score, being a gimmick
1: yeah for sure but i think at least for this entry um compared to just the most recent predecessor um, you do see it elevated to a degree because I thought everything I thought I loved so much about the Into the Spider Verse is even grander on a and on a bigger yeah. scale here, and I don't know how they did it right. um, because I didn't think it, I really was was fearful that this could not top the last film, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and or that it would it would come just shy of it or just just meet the mark, and so the fact that about thirty minutes in I was like I'm already more invested in this than yeah, than yeah. the la- the entirety of the last movie, and so. That's saying something about it.
0: The yeah. So you took the words. So removing the art, art direction, which I am. I just again think yet. Yeah, I I would. The one you already said. It's a triumph of animation. I yeah. think again. How much it shapes the story. I think that is, a, for my mind, a little bit of a different conversation. But it's relevant. Sure. But for me, yeah. it added to the experience so much that I'm like I'm I'm here again. As long as it's not overly gimmicky, and I yeah. don't think it becomes overly gimmicky in this movie. Um. But outside of that, I. I mean, there's, there's an opening pre, before the, the the titles pop up. The prologue. There's like an up-level sequence that I'm like already crying 10 minutes into the movie. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I'm just, I, my heart is crying. I even turned to Lauren. I said, holy cow. They just yeah. ran right out the gate. Yeah, going we got for the it. title credits yet.
1: And we get this like 20 minute, 20, 25 minute prologue. And I'm like, whoa, the movie just started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, I, and yeah, go ahead.
2: I was going to say, I just, you know, despite how captivating the whole movie like legitimately is. And you mentioned the runtimes earlier and the movies that it's compared to with run times, it still does manage to fall into the same pitfalls. I think as those two movies, when you start getting into your third act, Fair. um, yes, it's so yes. Long yes, yes. And we're setting up for things. Yeah. We'll talk about that you. in spoilers. Yeah, right, but right, I, right. Yeah, I did not agree, the with, you one agree I,
0: with you. I will say that is that weirdly the third act is where I felt the runtime. Yeah, yeah. And, not, and not because it was going on too long, but just be, it's the pa- It was the way that it was paced, and it was paced that way for reasons. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, yeah, I would I would say that that was where it was only so the last fifteen minutes was where I was like, okay, are yeah. we? Uh, Right. Where, right. Are, we? Like, yeah. like, Where you know, are we? Yeah. Where are we? Yeah.
2: Like yeah. this movie has managed to set itself apart so much from the live actions and then it's still managed to fall into the exact same <laughs> issue as the live actions.
3: Which is an issue the first movie deftly avoided.
0: Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. right. That's, true. That's true. Um, but but overall, I mean, I just think the, the character works here. I love Miles Morales. I love that we get more Gwen. All the Gwen stuff is fantastic. I I love all the new Spider-Man we get introduced to. I mean, as much you know, there was um guess, what was it, like the Indian Uh, mm -hmm. Spider-Man? Like he was, like it was just so, so much creativity and thought and care that went into the characterization. Um, On the animation side, I think that's what I liked most was when we got
3: to visit an entire other world and see so that Gwen's animation style fits with Miles's, but it's like pastel yeah. girl punk just like versus mm-hmm. hip hop right like mm-hmm. they work together but the backgrounds are completely different sure. and we go to the mm-hmm. indian spider-man's city is com- like it's subtle in a lot of ways but it's totally other mm-hmm. and we get a little bit of that uh with spider-man 2099s because we get a look at kind of the uh yeah. you know a little bit of the cyberpunk future although interestingly enough the brooklyn that miles goes back to in the in the third act mm-hmm. i guess that might be a little spoilery i'm sorry it's hard to you Brooklyn, know, know yeah. where the line is. Yeah. That return actually looked way more cyberpunk <laughs> than okay. Miguel's stuff. And I was like, wait, where are we? Like just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking this should – I can't say what I was thinking because that's spoiler. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> we know. it was weird it's we left the heads. cyberpunk space to a more cyberpunk-looking space that was not a cyberpunk space at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But the, the world it's building true. around the individual characters is almost – it is more interesting to me than getting them all to it's a, it's technically incredible that they look great on screen together. Mm -hmm. I think only the live action stuff looks like garbage.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. A little Uh, little slight spoiler. There is real people that appear a couple. Yeah. Uh, Uh, That would probably, so my nitpicks are one of which we'll talk about in spoil. Well, I don't know if it's nitpick. There's a potential qualm I have in spoilers. That's keeping me, it's going to hold me back from giving this like an A plus plus. The other thing is, I did smell a little bit of the studio intervention with some of the cameos. Yeah. We were like, it's not, it does work, but also I don't know that I want, (laughs) I don't know if I wanted this at that. I didn't want that cameo at this party. (laughs) I don't yeah, know how yeah, I yeah. put it. You they know. can
3: see themselves out.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but overall, again, yeah, yeah, this is a phenomenal film. Oh, last positive thing I have to say. Uh, Daniel Pepper, uh, Pemberton, I think, is uh, the Scott composer who returned from the first one.
1: Really strong work.
0: Holy cow. Yeah. Incredible. I've been listening to it while I've been working. I, 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 the next day I went to work, I turned it on the t- tunes, went into the zone, and I was like, God, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess if I was going to sum up my, my overall thoughts, I know we've talked about a lot of little things. It did the th- the experience i had watching into the spider verse in 2019 where it just blew the lid off of the animation style and xyz all the nice things you've said about it it did that again and i it did it again not by just doing more of it like you could have just had a story in this style the story is better too yeah th- just- i i would say i would say mostly the story is okay. better yeah 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 i'm i'm invested i'm invested we'll, we'll get to it
3: but yeah um josh shares giant (laughs) opinions redacted for spoiler reasons until later in the podcast
0: um yeah but yeah this is it it did everything i liked about uh into the spider verse but again and not by just doing more of the same thing like Mm -hmm. by pushing the envelope that much further with the score with the animation with the story beats with the, the 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 ambitious story like all of it um just how they caught lightning in a bottle a second time i don't know well, let's get to letter grade so we can really get to the juicy stuff. Chelsea Radiman, what letter grade would you give across the Spider-Verse?
2: An a. I mean, hands down, it's one of the most brilliant films that's going to come out of 2023.
3: Absolutely. I agree with that. Josh? Controversial.
2: Okay. Right.
3: And I can't talk about why for a few more minutes. <laughs> C-. minus.
0: <laughs> Whoa. Whoa! I mean, I knew it was gonna be low, but look—is C- this,
3: this where we can where we can say not yet, not no. yet?
0: Well, okay, because look, okay. I didn't know going in. Okay, it was a, a problem. I'll put, I'll put this the same way that uh, I put it to some friends in text. This movie originally had part one. It was announced as part one, part two, and there's a sequel coming out in nine months. So maybe you could say. There, it's a two-part
1: story, and we only got part one. So, is this a Kill Bill Volume One and Two thing? It's not complete yet, like we. That's, that's
3: why it gets a C minus. It's okay. not an actual finished story, <sighs> and they were not upfront about that, and that is a serious
2: problem. So, you're knocking it because of the studio.
3: I'm knocking it because it's not finished. There is no ending. <laughs> we're gonna
0: talk about that. So, I spoilers. don't
3: know how good the story is. We haven't seen it all. I. It's a fair okay. – and the studio it's, shenanigans that led to me not knowing that going in, uh, yeah, I am going to hold that against it because okay. like, like I made the effort to avoid everything about it because I did not expect it to, uh, to repeatedly uphype me like the first one did and still pay off. I was like, I can't expect that kind of lightning in a bottle. I got to be fair to this thing. I'm going in as blank as I can be, and it actually worked against me. I might have been less – unhappily surprised by the quote unquote ending if I hadn't heard the yeah. what year ago announcement that it was
0: going to be part one of two before they decided to sweep
3: that under the rug
0: well I contemplated mightily about whether to tell anyone because I knew because they announced it was now it's been out for a while but it's been so long people I think people kind of forgot they never advertised sure. it once yeah. as it, uh, part yeah. one but uh, yeah so that's something to consider um, with that said LaRon Chapman you know, I think
1: it's you know, like I said, i I was told about this being part part one before I went into it, maybe mere days before seeing it. So I'm really on I guess I in on the plus side, since you do have such a strong reaction to that, <laughs> that maybe it's better that I was told because i I didn't that didn't hit me as hard when that came because I was anticipating it. Um, so it's just enjoying the ride. So I think on its own merit, on its own as a standalone, I do, I'm giving it an A minus. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's near perfect, you know, so. um, And then again, just for all the reasons I've mentioned before, like, um, I didn't expect to be this excited about it or to be this, this involved in it. And so that alone, like for it being able to suck me back in after a drought for me, um, says a lot, you know, so I think it's, I think it's great on its own.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm the middle school teacher who's like, when you send me the next part, when you actually finish the essay,
1: <laughs> and my, my, my I will might reevaluate my weird. initial That's grade.
3: <laughs> I, it is still going to be docked for not being complete the first time. But I may dock it less when
0: I see a, how
3: it actually ends.
0: You know, we had our first I in the Bo is Afraid review. So, Joshua, if you want to pivot and give it an eye for incomplete. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, fair. that's You know what? Incomplete. Honestly,
3: that's a more fair than my C minus because yeah. I had a great time. It is beautiful. All I mean, all the positive things we've said about it yeah. remain true. So I am C going is to not, change it. C
1: is not saying the film is mediocre because I think most people interpret a C minus as like it's just at the base level of average. But – um, it's not because you thought it was mediocre. It's because you haven't seen it. You've only given me half a paper.
3: I, I am going to change since you are giving. Yes. <laughs> since Caleb is giving me, uh, uh, the, the opportunity to change. I will change it to an <laughs> I for income. Oh,
0: That's a new rating. Okay. We just, uh, uh, to, to be continued. To be yeah. continued. <laughs> um, I'm going to give it an A. I really want to give it an A plus. Like I loved it that much, but, uh, the last act was a struggle because of the part one. I did know it was part one, and I will say uh, we're going to talk about this much more in s- detail than the spoilers. I actually think if they broken it, maybe twenty minutes, fifteen to twenty minutes earlier, would have actually yeah. been a more com- a better spot for it to to yeah. break forward to
1: because fi- it, it as of right now as it feels like we just stopped it right in the middle. End it at part one. Don't right. end it at part one point, point. and then twenty minutes. Yes, because <laughs> that,
0: that, that's what it felt like. Yeah. There was I was telling them off the air. Uh, there was at least three other times where I was like, oh, the the ramping up to the Smash 2 to be continued, and then it, it kept going, and that's where the pacing issues come in. So that's what's keeping me from the A+. And here's the other thing, much to Joshua's point. The next one might come out and be so bad that this mm. movie, th- therefore, does not feel great, and that would suck, and I really hope that's not gonna happen. I don't think that'll happen, but I couldn't do. expect that either. It could, it could, it could though, and it, it's hard for you to best assess this movie what i am assessing is the experience of watching this movie uh and what it did for me personally so it's an a not an a plus because there is that hint of like i don't know that said uh, what we got was pretty incredible i mean this is my number one movie of the year so far yeah and
1: it made my top 10 and i'm very surprised to say that yeah, yeah, real.
0: <laughs> With that said before we go into spoiler section what other recommendations would we give? So alternate movie, television, novel, music, video game recommendations would you give our listeners who are either enjoying Across the Spider-Verse or into that sort of story? Chelsea, I'll start with you.
2: I think I'm going to recommend Doctor Who for this one. Feel That's like a good it's, one. I, feel like, I don't know if I've recommended that one for any of these other multiversal outings that we've had, but we don't really do too much multiverse stuff, like Parallel World. I guess we do some Parallel Worlds, but, you know, Doctor Who. It's a fun adventure. We get some, some Parallel Worlds, some... Canon points maybe mm-hmm. that you can or cannot break. So, yeah.
0: I feel like the writers of this definitely are big Doctor Who fans. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
3: Joshua? So I had I had a couple. Yeah. I I don't know if there was a limit. I'm going to cheat no, if no. there were. That's no one. limits. Right. Um, I broke
2: one, the rules out of the gate.
3: Uh, do what?
2: I broke the rules out of the gate. <laughs> that's,
3: that's true. That's uh, all bets are <laughs> on. Uh, if any – I don't know if any of you all here are – old school pulp fiction, not the movie like actual fiction. in Like actual the genre. Um, yeah, yeah. But Michael Moorcock wrote a series of different fantasy, uh, mostly fantasy, some science fantasy or space opera stuff. Uh, and each in each one, eventually you come to find out that the hero of that series is just sort of the reincarnation or reinterpretation of the same archetypal eternal champion. And sometimes they hang out. Uh, and it's pretty great. And so, and when they do hang out, a lot of times it's like completely out of nowhere. Okay. Uh, and you're just like, oh, I I haven't read that one, but I have read this one. And now, I, you know, they're all the same guy in some ineffable way, which is kind of a uh, Spider-verse-y.
0: What, what, the name of that one more time?
3: Well, OK. So there's a bunch. Like uh, just go look for Michael Moorcock, okay. Eternal Champion. Somewhere on the Internet, they'll have a list of what they are. And if they try and tell you what order to read them in, ignore them. That's too much. That's that's forcing them into a mold that they were never meant to be. You were literally supposed to pick up this piece over here and this piece over there because he's publishing in that magazine or that magazine. They weren't even paperbacks for twenty plus years. Wow. So, um, which is also kind of a fun way to read them in their own, you know, in their own right. Um, speaking from the different uh, art style. Uh, I want to recommend DC's New Frontier more the comic book than the animated movie, although the animated movie is pretty good. Um, But it was written by the late great or I'm sorry, written and drawn by the late great Darwin Cook. And Darwin Cook does an amazing, very 60s influenced. It's a it's a story set in the 60s as though the DC universe began in, you know, 1961, 1962. And Darwin Cook just has amazing dynamism. Uh, In his art style, while it's still like having a very like 60s loungy feel without hobbling the
0: superhero stuff.
1: Those Mm -hmm. would be my two.
0: New Frontier. That's a good. That's a good pull. Leron Chapman.
1: Uh, I'm going to speak specifically to the animation style with my recommendations. Um, Just. Telling the story through using different textures and tones. Uh, a Scanner Darkly came to mind mm, great movie. Um, yeah. just this past year. Apollo 10 and a half is great. If you haven't seen it on Netflix, it should have been. Um, a strong contender for best animated film last year, but that's I can't mine. believe there's a Richard Linklater movie that I totally forgot about because it, it got buried in the middle of the summer. It got buried by a lot of other things. Yeah. It's fine. And then an oldie but a goodie that I liked, um, I don't know if it holds up still, but I liked it quite a bit when I was younger, is the Animatrix. Um, right.
0: No, I'm, have, most of them hold up. I okay. watched them recently-ish, <laughs> okay. and some of them are kind of dicey, but most of them are pretty good. All
1: right. Those are the three that I have where, where they're dealing with uh, the text that we understand and then, you know presenting it in a new aesthetic um which kind of just recontextualizes everything and and makes it more fun and helps you play with the lore a little bit more so
0: awesome so i have a few recommendations um on the vein that you just recommended the animatrix i'm going to recommend two much more recent but similar idea where you're you're kind of playing one the the first one plays with a very known well-known uh canon which is the star wars visions animation uh Mm -hmm. made series listen um i'm Almost as fatigued with Star Wars stuff as I am with Marvel stuff, probably a little less so, but but generally speaking, I'm just less interested on, especially the Disney Plus content. The one that separates itself is Star Wars Visions now in Volume 1 and Volume 2. Volume 1 focuses on they basically assembled all of the best anime studios in Japan and said, just go make a Star Wars story. It's not going to be canon. So l- use your whatever you can imagine within the realm of Star Wars, animate it. And you get radically different types of anime visually um with some wild stories some of it's the stuff that that speaks to the like 12 year old me but there's also a lot of very inclusive stories they incorporate in there that's a little uh, more friendly like non-binary characters for example so just really really incredible so it's volume one volume two they expand the scope beyond japan and they're basically just going global and inviting all of these different studios um some of them you may be familiar with i think the the studio that worked on wolf uh, walkers a couple of years ago oh, yeah. um had, had a short and it was incredible and just The experimentation that is happening with animation, it's barely Star Wars. Like it's – they have lightsabers. They have the force. There's sometimes imperial stuff. But like the stories have nothing to do with any of the stuff that we know. And seeing people have that sandbox and those tools and the budgets to play with while doing some wild, crazy animation style is really, really refreshing. So that's number one. Number two is uh, uh, on Netflix, Death, Love, and Robots. Not every episode's a hit, but every episode at least has a very interesting visual style. Um, I like more of those shorts uh, than I don't. Um, Next, I'm going to speak to multiverse stories. Not going to elaborate. Everything Everywhere at once. Won an Oscar last year. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the greatest multiverse stories I didn't know I wanted. Incredible. Check Mm -hmm. it out. Um, Cliffhangers. The Matrix Reloaded. Because that's a – as we're going to talk about in spoilers, that's why I'm saying I don't (laughs) think that makes it a bad movie. I think The Matrix Reloaded is phenomenal. phenomenal. The third one's just okay. But Reloaded's amazing, and this feels like it could be The Matrix Reloaded. Hopefully the third one's better, but, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting very – the two movies that come to mind are Empire Strikes Back and Matrix Reloaded for me in terms of, like, second movies. Yeah. Again, more in spoilers. spoilers. Uh, and last but certainly not least, a video game recommendation. Gosh, I have to be really careful because this might spoil a video game. Final Fantasy VII Remake much like this movie is very aware of the story it's mm-hmm. telling and asking the questions. Why do we have to do that? Final Fantasy seven. It also says, Oh yeah, you, we know what the game we're remaking the game. You know, the game you're playing, but actually like, why are you doing this stuff? Why does X, Y, Z have to die? Like trying to be vague, but the, it's, <laughs> it's not a remake. It's, 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 it's It's a it's not a remake. It's disguised as a remake, but it's actually doing some really interesting kind of meta uh, commentary on itself. And I feel like we see a lot of that in uh, Across the Spider-Verse as well. Well, there you have it. Listeners, those are our recommendations. If you have not seen Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, go ahead and tune out now.
3: Oh, Spotty Bell, Spotty Bell, swinging through midtown.
0: Oh, what fun to sling a web and take the bad guys down! Spotty bells, Spotty Bell's quipping all the time. Oh, what fun to swing around New York while fighting crime! All right, so so much to unpack, but let's start with the cliffhanger first, because I, I think that's the thing we all just really want to get—we need to get <laughs> I that hodgepodge around it so much. You know, um, know. Do we think this pays off? As a cliffhanger, Josh, I know this has been the thing you've been just wanting to really talk about. So I'll I'll let you lead on this one. Does it work for what, what, why does it work or not work for you? So cliffhangers
3: in. hmm, Okay. There are absolutely media or types of stories where cliffhangers work, but they are the minority. Um, This would be something that is distinctly and obviously and purposefully serialized my own personal, like, Best example would be serialized monthly superhero comics like they have cliffhangers because they want you to buy the next issue like it's that kind of of uh, and they cannot change the fundamental thing that the story is about, even though it's six parts long, they can't change that at the end of every issue. Mm-hmm. So they do a cliffhanger or something like that. So there are absolutely cliffhangers, places where cliffhangers are appropriate. Soap operas, like if you're into soap operas or those kind of uh, uh like very serial, serialized sexy nighttime dramas, fine. Do some cliffhangers. Go nuts. Uh, TV? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the serialized aspect that I think really makes them more or less appropriate. And is this movie serialized? Sort of, but not Really. And even if it were, that wouldn't necessarily be an excuse for a cliffhanger because this is where I'm going to like put my little pedantic hat on for a minute and say that there is a difference between a cliffhanger and a game changer.
0: So, a, so, a so, cliffhanger. So, so again, um, here I'm going to lift off, uh, so uh, define it, but I'm also going to list off a few examples and you tell us which one's which.
3: Sure, absolutely. Okay. I'll do my best. Yeah. So, a cliffhanger is just like this one it ends in the middle of the action. Like, the, I mean, it's what the thing is named for. The serials that ended with a guy literally hanging off a cliff. And then very often the next time you would come back to it, they just undo that. Like they roll out of the stagecoach. You see him hanging on the edge of the cliff. You come to the next one. They go right back to the stagecoach and they roll away instead of off the cliff. Like so a lot of times it's very, very cheap. And that's why it's kind of it's baked into into the concept. A game changer is when there is a huge change at the end of an already existing story that is told in this. Piece of serialization, but we know that when we return to them, the world will be different. What will that look like? Um, I have some examples, but I'll wait and see, like okay. which ones you. So you let's start.
0: Popular with. one. I've already. So I've mentioned two. I'll just start with the easy ones. Uh famously, The Empire Strikes Back cliffhanger or game it's a game changer.
3: changer. The The Empire Strikes Back has an internal narrative with a beginning, middle, and end that is fully told, but also threads are left dangling because we know there's another movie. That's a game changer. Mm-hmm. Matrix Reloaded? Yeah, I ha- saw it once and okay, forgot. I it. don't know. Okay. Probably a cliffhanger the way you're describing it. Yeah, okay. Like, uh, does, it,
0: does it have a... a tell me.
3: <laughs> well, does it have uh, an internal beginning, middle, and end that actually comes to
0: an end? Well, here's the thing. It doesn't feel like it when you're watching it the first time, but if you... Once you watch the third one, second and third movie... Stop right there. Then it's a cliffhanger. Yeah. Well, I, it is, <laughs> but... The thing <laughs> if the third movie is, if you require illumination from the next part yeah. to make this
3: part an actual story, it's probably it's a cliffhanger. It's
0: almost not a cliffhanger. There's a thing that happens at the very end that make that makes it kind of a cliffhanger. I, I think, based on your definition,
1: this involving Trinity or
0: yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Because there actually is a beginning, middle, and end of that movie, but then sure. there's like you were saying, uh, but then there's an extra fifteen but, minutes, and yeah. I guess it's a cliffhanger now. You know. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this one, but Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest versus At World's End. Do you remember those? Which one is the – is that the the second second to the third one? Yeah, second to third one. If you don't remember, that's okay. Oh, you know what? We're millennials. We grew up on these things. I
3: recently rewatched the first two movies and was not inspired to finish the third one. so my gut says cliffhanger because that annoys the shit out of
0: me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm not going to ask you about Fast X because you haven't seen it yet.
3: I have not Mm -hmm. seen it. But for some examples –
0: By the way, definitely a cliffhanger based on your definition. Are
3: are there any Leverage fans in this room? No? No. Ooh, that's tough. They were amazing at Game Changers. Like the end of every season, there was something that where you were like, okay, we can come back and the formula will be three quarters or whatever, 60% intact. But this character left, this very safe space that we had created explodes, whatever it is. Like we, we still there was an ending, but also when we come back, it will be what what will change. I have you one.
1: Know. Yes. Dune, part one.
3: Okay, the the most recent yeah. movie. Den- 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 is part Almost one. Almost yeah. certainly a cliffhanger yeah. because yeah. it's not one. That's the other thing. It's not one whole story. That's if you true. come to it and it is not a finished beginning, middle, and end, it's it may not be a cliffhanger, but it's also not complete. Like, I mean, everything that ends... Everything that fails to end at the end of its runtime is not necessarily left on a cliffhanger, but it's still. I personally am like, that's
0: some clown shoe storytelling. Have an ending. So here's one that that tends to break a lot. This is the last one. I just remembered. I want to ask about this one because it's basically going to be my poster child argument for why we should give this movie the benefit of the doubt. Lord of the Rings cliffhangers or game changers at the end of each sequel. Uh, I would. Mm.
3: Definitely. They got to be game changers because, because, or if they're not, or they don't fit this dichotomy at all, because each one of those sections has a beginning, middle, right. and end. Somebody has an arc that they go on with possibly the exception of Frodo. Like Frodo's arc pretty much runs across all three. And it's also worth pointing out that Tolkien was never trying to write a commercial novel. Right. So in a lot yeah. of ways, applying anything like what I would consider good storytelling for being straightforward, he wasn't even trying so in a lot of ways, it's not even fair to measure it. But Wait, they,
0: he would say it's all one. I guess his take was that it was all one book anyway. He just was forced to break it into three by his publishers. But he did it in the right spots. And he
3: was wise enough to give us characters going on in the foreground uh, that had their own arcs that actually went places.
2: So is the MCU all game changers or all cliffhangers with the stingers?
3: Woof! I mean, they're sort of crazy. They're teasers.
2: So it's not, it's not, it's
3: not I, I think it's outside of the, like you're talking about like a mid credits or yeah, end credit yeah. stuff, yeah. the post credit stuff. Yeah, those are just teasers. I mean, those are just pre trailers for the next whatever the hell. Because
0: frankly, mo- most of the time, not 100% of the time, but most of the time, they don't even, like those stingers are just like teasing the idea of the next one. They don't, oftentimes don't even, sometimes they do tie in, but sometimes they don't even directly tie in, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like to a, the franchise they're in. Right.
3: So I, I think most of those are just teasers. Like they sort of sort of stand apart,
2: even though the whole thing is connective tissue.
3: in as much as it is. in as much as they bother to make it all connect. Yeah. I mean, that's also part of the part of my without going too far down this rabbit <laughs> trail. Part of my MCU issue is uh, a general mediocrity of quality, but it but tied into that is if you want me to watch all of it, you either have to make it all good enough for me to watch. Or you have to make the way that it connects important enough that I need to watch it. And they pretty typically fail on both of those uh, criteria from, I don't know, phase well, three-ish. I mean, you know.
0: I would also argue that the, despite all being movies, the MCU is serialized storytelling it, to your based on the parameters you said. I mean, it's, yes, the cliffhangers, but also it aligns with. It, it straddles a line. Yeah. It straddles a line.
3: But but it's uh, uh so that's the other part of the reason that makes like critiquing the sort of the art history of the MCU difficult, because if they fail in one area, they'll be like, well, we're not really serialized. That was its own separate movie. And if I'm like,
0: yeah, but what about all this stuff? They're like, oh, yeah, we are serialized, actually. <laughs> now, this brings me back, Joshua. Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. So we've spent some time listeners trying to dive into what do we mean? I really appreciate you bringing the idea of a game changer, you know, because because there is a difference. There really yeah, is. Yeah. There is a difference between a Lord of the Rings and a Matrix Reloaded and an Empire Strikes Back. Like they all do stop kind of in the middle of the story, but it's about where, where they do it and how it's structured. I think for me, that's kind of like and with,
1: what the intention is for it. Because right, like if you look right. at something like uh Harry Potter, you know, like they separated the book into two films. It's like, that's obviously one story that we're cutting. And their their intention here is to make more money for, off of Harry <laughs> Potter because they could have tr- truncated those and made it one movie. But, you know, I, I think that's also a thing. Is like, if the intention is to leave enough intrigue for the next one, but still closing out the things that have been introduced in this story you're watching, then I think I'm fine with that. But if there's... And we'll get into it, but I guess we are in spoilers as yeah, we yeah, get, full spoilers, as we yeah. get into, like you said. There's there's a definitive like rising action yeah. at the tail end of this movie, which feels incorrect you know it felt,
0: it, i I that was that was really where i i actually started to get like i i'm like where where, where Josh where, where, where are, are we, we? Where, are, yeah. where are we in the story
1: we're two and a half two hours and 20 minutes into this movie and i feel like it's just it's starting over well there right. was like, so yeah. there was the
0: point where miles goes to the portal that and i thought that was going to be having known that they were going to break the movie into two yeah i was like oh we're ramping up for the big reveal that it's a you know, part one to be continued. And I'm thinking, oh, we're going to ramp up. He's going to get in the portal poof, right? Yeah. Done. Because because
3: and that, what that if it it, has Miles's beginning, middle, and end, right. where we begin wishing that we could be part of something larger. We become part of something larger, and it sucks. And we decide that <laughs> actually going and doing this thing on our own is the right way to do it. Exactly. Now, wh- whether that's true or not, you don't know until you actually like get to the ending, but there is like the full ending, but there is, Miles has a beginning, middle and end right there. Uh, If there's a place that I think this is broken is that this is actually more Gwen's movie than Miles's movie.
0: It it does straddle the line between dual protagonists. Yeah. And I actually want to start with Gwen, Yeah,
3: which means it's Gwen's movie. Not definitively, but I mean, there's always an argument that we're going to imprint like ducklings on the first character that we see. And that's our, you know, so like when earlier, I, and I didn't want to jump into this when you were talking about this this amazing prologue. I was like, bullshit! That's not the prologue. That's the beginning of the movie. It's mm-hmm. Gwen's movie.
0: But prologue in that it is pre title card. It's not a yes. It's not a but. It but structurally it does structurally not it structurally it's not, not, it's not yeah. a prologue.
3: Yeah. It is the beginning of the movie because this is open, Gwen's movie. Yeah. Yes, cold it's open. open. Much more, like, open. A open. Thank much you, more like a cold open. Much yeah. more like a cold open. Um. So. Th- th- the idea that we kind of trundle along a little bit longer is, I think, because they realized it was Morgwen's movie. And if we end, quote unquote, on Miles making this big realization, then we haven't really ended the movie that we began. I still think that, to your point, it would have been a more satisfying and effective watch.
0: Or even if the other one spot that I thought would have been a great break I don't know if it'd been perfect, but I, I again, I was like, okay, we didn't break it there. So what's yeah. the next thing? When they have, when you, ha- they both have the realization that Miles is in the wrong
1: universe. Mm-hmm. I was like,
0: oh, boom, reveal, sets up the next movie. Cut to black, feels right.
1: It's everything after that
0: moment. It's everything <laughs> after that. And it's not that it's bad. It just like it feels like I'm in this weird in between movie thing where I'm like, wait. Like why am I here? I, I we're meeting Dark Miles. The pro, like what is going on here?
3: They, okay, that is a that is a perfect two two things in that last scene that are very frustrating. And the first is we literally see Miles put his finger on one link of chain, so we already know how he's going to bust loose. Mm-hmm. Like we're it's hundred percent telegraphed, and now I have to wait nine months to see that. That's dumb. The it's just <laughs> that's just dumb. Right. The other thing is the introduction of. Miles Prowler <laughs> changes. It that is what the next story is about. Exactly. The next story exactly. is about Dark Reflection. Hundred percent. This movie's not about Dark Reflection. Right. Don't introduce that here. Like it does not feel. Yeah, it feels like we ended at the beginning of the next movie instead of ending at the end of this movie.
0: Hundred percent. Yeah. That, that I think that's spot on. That, that and that is exactly what I mean about. Like not even the Matrix Reloaded, in my opinion, was that in the middle of a. That's it was because this was like right in the middle of always oh, capture. We know he's going to get out and then cut to black before we find out how that it's like the cut to black before we find out if the train goes off the cliff. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, but it's a movie, not a TV show. Right. Chelsea. What? what OK, what's uh, you've been kind of quiet. What, what do you think about the ending of the film and the cliffhanger of it all?
2: Oh, I hated it <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, I didn't go in realizing it was a part one. And so I – what like I sat here and it goes into the runtime thing for me too. Like I'm, I'm here. The third act is dragging for me at this point because we're totally running into live-action MCU problems. And then it doesn't end. I was just mm-hmm. really irritated. I waited
1: day. this long. <laughs> I invested this long. <laughs> it's been five years since the last movie, guys. It's been a long time. Only yeah. to have to wait again. It, it Yeah, it just feels like – they could have done themselves a lot of favors by truncating that 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 mm. last. I don't even know how how long of it's like fifteen to twenty minutes. About fifteen to twenty minutes. So yeah. the movie's two hours to twenty minutes. So if it was a two hour film, and like you said, we ended at the precise moment without introducing this, then I feel like that reveal would be so much more interesting as the front mm-hmm. of
2: mm-hmm. of
1: yep of the next film. Absolutely,
2: it definitely felt like a
1: because pumped. now we know too much and don't have anything to go with. You know what I mean, like, um, and it
0: doesn't feel like satisfying
1: because it's opened up. It's 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 satisfied.
0: I think I think Joshua outlined it really beautifully. Like it, I felt satisfied by a couple of different endings where it felt like okay, we have a beginning and middle end for these characters. It feels like a good breaking point. But now we've gone. It's like if you started Return of the Jedi, like, like we ended Empire Strikes Back with. Oh, guys! Guess what? Lando Calrissian's in the Hutts Palace, and that's where you smash
1: the cut. You know what I mean? I mean like they Titanic uh, one tape does with this. You, know, <laughs> you remember the VHSs? Yeah, like it, you know, and you yep. have to flip the. Ta- you know, everyone yep. remembers. Okay, cool. That's what it is. We didn't get the second tape. You know, and yeah. it exists, mm-hmm. but we didn't get it. And it was like the, the, the. We know the boat's going down, but we didn't get there. You know, so.
0: <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it, it is my biggest thing because here's the thing, I. I I'm not a, against breaking movies in parts like this because sometimes you just genuinely have an idea that's too big for one
1: movie. You, we didn't want to rush it for right. sure. Yeah, yeah. And, but there's so much that's already been established and was already here in the part one of this larger story that I don't think we needed that big juggernaut of a intro you know, at the tail end of this. That's right. the only thing.
3: I'm, yeah. They If they had ended, like I mentioned, Miles decides to jump in the machine and go home. Uh, but in recognizing that it's Gwen's movie, she also stands up to everybody and is like, Miles is right. And they fire her. Now we have a beginning, middle, and end for yep. both of our dual protagonists. Exactly. Um, and then I am not frustrated. And then it's a horrifying, inciting incident for the next movie to realize that they are not in the right universes. Right. right? Like it really just like. That's true. It, yeah, I mean, Just and but it this works is, so much better. Not,
0: not, that's what I'm saying. This is why I like see minus it
3: initially. Yeah. I mean, because again, a place that, that that Caleb and I have had friction sometimes talking about movies and TV before is that like, I'm story first. Like, you, it, this thing should click along. Yeah. I, I should. I don't necessarily need to be able to predict the very next thing, but I don't check my watch. Or if I do, right. I'm like, yep, this is exactly where we should be at this point you know, in the story. And I'm not saying you can't experiment. I'm not saying three-act structure is the only way to go, but it's ubiquitous for a reason. And mm-hmm. when you break it, you better break it for a reason. And in this, it felt like very un- non-confident
0: yeah.
1: choices. Mm-hmm. The, the, like, yeah, it's a lack of confidence that, we, that they don't know if, they'll, if, they'll, if we're invested enough to come back. Yeah,
3: yeah. And yes. it's like, like yeah.
1: well, maybe this won't be as big of a hit as the last one. So let's give them the... You know the best chunk or storytelling element of the next one, and tack it on to the next, so that way we have insurance mm-hmm. of return. And I'm and we didn't need it because it was so good without it. Was it so good, you without know. So
0: well, and, th- and that's the other thing too. I don't know how, in terms of like how they creatively where they decided to break the story. I, I I don't have any insight to what those conversations looked like, but I can tell you with a fair amount of confidence that they wanted to hide that it was a part one in the title specifically because I have. I would say this is more for like the casual viewers, not the Ron, you and me who go see everything. It's the yeah. people who only go to like four or five movies a year. I texted some of them and said, Hey, this is great. Caveat. It's a part one, basically. Yeah. And they're like, well, now I'm just oh, like, Oh, holy cow. Well, I don't have to wait. So I'll just wait until the next one's out mm-hmm. to watch this one. And we'll watch them back to back. And I think that is, I'm not saying that's, from the studio's perspective, I don't think it's the right decision, but I understand the rationale, which is if people think it's part one, they're not going to show up.
1: Because yeah. people do this with episodic things too. You know, that's like, this is a really good season. They're like, oh, but we're all, everyone's anticipating the next one. He's like, well, I'll just wait for all the, time. the whole series to be here and then binge the whole thing. And that mentality with film is not what you want. You know, right. not for box office numbers for sure. You know, so yeah, it just, it's, it's, it's an odd choice. But it's problematic. I, I agree. Because audio. Audiences
0: should know up front that it's a part one, part two, or at least that it's even part two in a trilogy, even though the third one's been announced, that it definitely was not marketed as a part two. Right. Mission and I, Impossible and, figured
1: this out. Exactly. De- dead reckoning <laughs>
0: <And> part one. <laughs> you <fair>. Yes,
3: yes. <laughs> we but know. Also, uh, coming back to the most popular nerd example of Empire Strikes Back is that very satisfying ending. They could have shot a straight on this one is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like a little more confidence in their final installment actually happening, which if it's already frigging greenlit for nine months from now, oh, you dude, guys no, did basic- not need to. No, this yeah. was two know. movies from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they could have given us what we would have considered a very satisfying and like, oh yeah, like obviously there's there's more to do, but this is a unit unto itself in the way that the first one was.
0: They could have shot a straight on that and just didn't. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. And then I want to talk about the actual meat and potatoes of this movie in terms of like – actually this movie has a lot of really awesome, fascinating, yeah. exciting ideas to, to really dive into. But I, in terms of does the cliffhanger pay off, I think it sounds like we're all in agreement. If they could – have the simpler fix would have been be up front with what this is and also break the movie. Just be a little smarter about where they break the movie.
3: If they're smarter about where they break the movie, they don't have to be more honest because then they're already honest. Right. Okay. We, we have yeah, yeah. a middle installment.
0: Mm-hmm. Caveat is sometimes it's hard to know how well the multi-part thing will work until you have the whole thing. And Lord of the Rings for me is a great example of that because I don't actually know that every movie has its own arc. Like the characters have their own arcs in that movie until – I see the next movie and you see that, oh, okay, this movie was the second movie is where they focused on this character arc. And now this is just where this character, I mean, like the third movie is Aragon's movie, right? I mean, he's got a whole thing that's going on throughout the entire trilogy, but Return of the King is his thing. Um, You get uh, a lot of the Rohan centric stuff with Theoden in the second film. So like, but you don't always know where you're at in that timeline. The first time you see it before you've seen the next thing or you've seen the whole thing.
3: I'm going to disagree. Okay, okay, and okay. use Aragorn as an example. Okay. So, if we just look at Aragorn, he has individual arcs. Now, it's been a minute since I sat down and watched all 3000 hours of this, so bear with me.
0: Worthwhile 3000 hours though. I watched them a couple years ago when they hit uh, 4K. Man, those movies are still so good. Maybe okay. I believe the hobbits. I
3: don't um, right yeah, that's yeah. Uh, in the beginning, it's Aragorn only wants to be involved in the shadows, on the sidelines. And he is forced to put that aside to a certain extent in order to get these very important hobbits to Rivendell. That's the end of his arc there. Now, he's not the only one. We've got Frodo's got stuff going on. Y- you know, like every that's not again, it's they're not commercial stories. Right. But if you're just looking at their going, that's the I'm on the fringes and I'm happy to stay here. OK, I have to step gently out of the shadows to get these people here. Okay, I have to step further. So the next one, it's each one is a further stepping into the role that he's destined for. Mm -hmm. And his individual arcs for each movie break that into three distinct places. We have beginning, middles, and ends for him. We do not have beginning, middle, and ends for uh, a lot of the other characters because they're just like running around doing stuff. Or we do get them, but uh, um, – Pippin and Mary do not have anything like an arc in the first one. They get one in the second one and it finishes in the third one. Like, mm-hmm. so these ensemble casts make it a little more difficult to talk about this right. thing. But using Aragorn as your example, he's got a beginning, middle, and end arc in every movie.
0: Okay, that's fair. I, I think that's a fair assessment. My my point being, though, sometimes – and I don't disagree with anything you said. That's I think that's a very – uh, it's a good breakdown of that character, but sometimes you just don't know. So for example, um, I'll go back to the Pirates of the Caribbean example. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you those are three great films. <laughs> I think the first one's actually pretty damn good. Yeah. 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 Uh, the second and third one I enjoy, but I don't know if they're good. However, once I've seen the third one, I know in my mind, it does end on a kind of a cliffhanger. But it actually feels more like a game changer, if, in retrospect, based on your definition. Okay, um, in that we have this whole thing with the, the second one's the movie of Davy Jones, the threat, uh, uh, Jack Sparrow's sins coming back to haunt him and pulling everyone in with him, sort of thing. And the third one's more about a, re- a redemptive arc for a lot of the characters. Again, messy, not not necessarily great, but in my head, I was able to appreciate the second movie on its own once I saw the third film, realizing how they they broke it down and structured it um versus The Matrix Reloaded where I mean I still think the second film I, I I really like it a lot but you really don't get because of where they break it again you don't get a clear picture of where you're at and the arcs of those characters until you've seen the third movie yeah you know it, it's, it's a pit stop or a a pivoting point you're not sure <laughs> it doesn't so much end as stop yeah <laughs> there you go um, so anyway, our rebuttal being, if the third movie's good, I will probably be like, you know what? That wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. But it didn't feel great the first time. Okay. Okay. So let, let's talk about the, the kind of the core ideas this movie's got. So, so I would say, and, and feel free to disagree and Joshua, I know you, I know you've probably got some strong thoughts, but Chelsea or LeBron, when I look at the first film, the, the central thesis to me is around the idea that anyone can wear the mask. Anyone can be Spider-Man. Right. To a certain extent, like it's not does not have to be Peter Parker, straight cis white man from Brooklyn, New York, you know, sort of thing. In this film, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But the thing that I keep coming back to is it seems to be about overcoming the assertion that you must do what's expected of you. Right. So we see this with his parents in the beginning of the movie. They're saying, hey, we know you're exceptional. You also need to go to school in Brooklyn. And he's saying, "No, no, no, I don't want that. He gets drafted into the spider Spider Verse Academy, whatever you want to call it, uh, and he thinks he wants to be a part of that. But then, as he ca- kind of like starts to see kind of the inner workings of what they're doing and, and the things they're willing to accept, he says, "Actually, I'm not going to be a part of this either." I'm curious, what do you think about Miles and Gwen's arcs throughout this movie? What kind of ideas are we are we looking at that are that are, that are meaningful? Chelsea, you've been quiet. I'm going to start with you on this one.
2: I so what I really love. About this movie and animation again, because you can dive into the inner stuff. Is there really there? They are talking about you know you do the things that's expected of you, but then we start diving into canon, and then we so is really starting to take on. We're we're compounding, growing up and being a teenager, and you know evolving into the expectations of the people that've gone before you, paved your way into now. We're really looking at like predestination and free mm-hmm. will and. Yep. I love how you, these movies give way more of an opportunity to really have like a bigger conversation because we don't – is it is it free will if the captain has to die every single time? Is it predestination? What happens if there's just one tiny change? Mm-hmm. But is that tiny change still predetermined?
0: Are you still Spider-Man if you don't have an Uncle Ben? Yeah. You know? mm mm-hmm. I mean, I think the movie's asking that question. I think the movie also answers that specific question, which again – makes it almost a complete movie josh Josh, josh what i mean elaborate feel free
3: uh well i mean um yeah i think that uh the the first movie's theme is anybody can be a hero like step up do the thing that you are capable of doing in the moment to be the best version of you for other people you can be the hero and of course the point of that spear is anybody can wear the mask right uh, so that's super clear. This one, again, because it's sort of not finished, but also was finished. I'm kind of like arbitrarily deciding where this one ends. Um, this is a much more clear coming of age story. But what I love about it is that it's not just our kids that are coming of age. Like right. we're watching adults come of age. We're watching uh, um, Miles's parents. We're watching Gwen's dad, that version of Captain Stacy. Um We are watching Miguel come of age and break bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like we are, uh, you know, um, Peter B, like we see uh, is like, and what I love about Peter B that I feel like makes this the theme that we're always it's a it's a coming of age story. But coming of age happens multiple times, you know, throughout your life is that we can watch that he fixed the previous problem and just by living has discovered what his next like, personal problem he has to deal with is, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I think I think that's what it is. Like, I don't want to say constant self-improvement because I don't think improvement is the point as much as figuring yourself out and committing to what that is in this moment, what? that level of coming of age.
2: And, I mean, they even mention it in the movie because his parents, like, they look at each other at one point and they're like, I think we have to grow up too mm-hmm. because, like, they're, they're, their child is clearly evolving into the next stage of his life, so they have to evolve with him or else they're just going to keep treating him.
3: Like Like a child. And as a parent of a teenager who is also nearing middle age, that hit. Like Mm -hmm. that hit. Because uh, um, I sort of don't – this is not just being overly defensive about me in my life. I don't believe in the concept of a midlife crisis. What I think that is is that that people hit midlife and the last time that they felt empowered to make change was when they were a teenager. Mm -hmm. So they act like a teenager in -hmm. order to make changes. A much more mature way is to go, oh – this situation has completely changed and I have failed to adapt to it. If I want to still be a part of this situation, in this case, my growing teenage child's life, I got to change. I got to I got to move to where they are, not the other way around.
0: Follow-up thought on that. Just going to put it out there because I want to hear what Lauren has to say about this. But I want to come back to it. I think that is both textual with the individual mm-hmm. characters that you've already cited uh, several examples, Chelsea, you and Joshua – but also within the subtext of the film, which is, can we grow beyond the canon?
3: Yeah, yeah. Th- I, I was, That's where I, yeah. I don't see these as separate yeah. things because yeah. uh, part of the parental influence is we made all these sacrifices for you. We did all of this for you so that you could. And anything you say after could other than make your own choices about what you want your life to be is wrong like anything you say about i expect this of you because it's what i want for you you that's not that's this, not how that's supposed to work this thing
0: happened to me and this thing that happened to me defined who i became and i'm proud of who i became so you need to, so the, you, you have, have to have opinions too. Too. Yeah. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Laurent, what do you what do you think
1: i think inherently um this is a two protagonist film because for all the reasons that we've been talking um the cold open is Gwen's story um, and I'd argue that they have about the same amount of screen time, but the emphasis maybe, I think it's tipping a little bit more in her favor in this story. Um, but I did appreciate the duality of their arcs and the various ways that they kind of collide and kind of conflict. Um, in the end, I do think the themes are, yes, of course that, you know, that anyone can be behind this mask. Anyone can, you know, it, it had these things happen to them by happenstance, but then they have to lean into it to make changes. Um, But what I think is interesting about both of them, I mean, taking the canon thing aspect of it out of it for a minute, but the choices they make are tailored to their specific consequence. I mean, their specific circumstances and what they need for themselves is very individualistic and personal to them in their universes. And so I think that made it really interesting as we expand and meet more versions of Spider-Man and how those circumstances differ in different universes, but also how a choice made here, you know, wipes out another person's choice over here. Mm-hmm. And so it it really, it takes the mythos or kind of the concept of Spider-Man and makes it this... It makes it this symbol of something instead of just this one thing. P- Peter Parker, Uncle Ben, what have you? Because there's a universality to it. They all want the same thing, but what they want differs per universe in the in each of these. And I think that made for a very complex and expansive story. Um, again, playing with the same canon, playing with the same themes, but but showing us how you know the context is very important here. Mm. And and as we'll get back into as we talk about um, Miguel's character, um, and and where that character goes off And I think he also wants the same thing, but his counteracts with everyone else's. So
0: well, in his realization, or at least I'm actually very uh, excited. one of the things I'm excited about for the third one uh, is that character. I'm just curious. There's something there. There's clearly a couple things about him that did not make it into this by design. Mm. Especially when he's kind of sharing the story, there's you only get tiny, tiny bits of it. So I'm really—it's a very about that.
3: Miguel version of Miguel's story, mm-hmm. and he does not feel like an entirely reliable narrator.
0: Exactly, yeah. spot on, spot yeah. on. Yeah. But based on what he does say in the movie, the idea that's presented is you having the ability to choose puts all of these other people in jeopardy. So you just need to sit down. And play it, by the rules. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, if so you right. don't, you're going to hurt other people. Yes.
1: Vote for Joe Biden. That's what, <laughs> that's what this is. Wow. Ooh.
0: <laughs> wow. That was a left turn.
1: I wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> it was, but it was not. <laughs> <laughs> Vote for Joe Biden or shit is going to get different. Uh, because okay. I mean, uh, yeah. Oh, f- oh, uh, not that, that exactly. I, and, I, and I voted for him. I just need to say that. I'm just saying that that's that's how I interpret that.
3: <laughs> Josh, There is. Okay. So you bring up sort of some structural and systemic things that I wish that uh, this movie dealt with more directly and maybe it will in the third one. And we do get a really good dealing with this with Gwen's dad, but it sort of and this is this is since Miles was introduced in the comic books, which was a very long time ago at this point that I have been like. Does his dad have to be a black cop who's also named after the president of the Confederacy? All of that seems like a big fucking mess. Um, I don't like any of that. Uh, I'd like I'd really like to see. I don't know how you do it in this already giant expansive story, except that we kind of did it with Captain Stacy. He had to quit. He's like, uh, oh, my job is actually bullshit. And you, my interpersonal relationship, has shown me that this is sort of systemically and structurally not right. Mm -hmm. So I quit.
0: I I just want to pause there, too, because we haven't talked about this as much. Spot on, everything you said. But um, the the Gwen Stacy storyline for me, I think, felt the most most whole in this film. Mm -hmm. I think, Lorraine, as you outlined. And uh, I'm not joking. The scene where he pulls the gun on her after she unmasks and stuff at the beginning. Oof. Holy cow, man. I was not ready. Like That was such a deep gut punch because you just – the guy's literally wired his whole life to, like, be the best cop he can. And it's like, what do you do in that moment? But he failed fundamentally as a parent. He yeah. failed,
3: honestly. Failed as a parent. Failed as a human yeah. by succeeding as a cop. Yep. Yeah. And that's – all a nice, neat little fictional bow, but that reflects our whole ass real mm-hmm. life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm glad that they were able to I thought that was not I didn't think that was gonna pay off until the next movie. So yeah. when they when they worked it back in to help set us up for the next one, I, I it felt very complete. For her um, for her for, her. her for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so sorry, continue. Uh Captain Stacy's uh arc though. Um I think Well that was just I
3: wanted to speak like the the joke of this this uh this very uh, vote blue no matter who vibe that miguel has like to to that's a really that's too specific an example for what it's saying but i can follow you on that line sure yeah and i think that the movie also invites you to m- like think some political thoughts or at least some, not partisan but i mean political. there's black some lives system. matter all over brooklyn I mean, yeah it, which is he's great he's got a I blm like miles has a blm uh um yeah uh like button on his bag as he sits next to his cop dad these are conflicting messages you know like what are we supposed to do with this and we get at least a little bit of an answer of that in in Captain Stacy so yeah, yeah. uh yeah again I hate that I can't give th- that I don't want to give this a higher score because they broke their ending because there's a ton of amazing stuff going on in here there is multiple levels of character stuff. And there is big, there are bigger questions, both philosophical and political, which may not be different, you know, that are being asked and in some cases answered or at least answers suggested. There's a lot of awesome stuff going
0: on in this multiple levels of stuff. Again, uh, I just feel like it deals with a lot of larger, broader ideas. It shows which potential, the types of stories you can tell in superhero fiction can be complex, but also palpable to wide audiences, Uh, man. What 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 an achievement removing the cliffhanger ending from it, uh, Chelsea. What did you know about S- Spider Man twenty nine ninety Miguel, Miguel O'Hara before this movie?
2: I will. It's it's funny that when you introduce me, you're like the this, I'm the superhero person. I, I come on. I, I make my appearances generally. Um, I have never read a comic book. Um, so I'd have. This no is why you're perfect for that, though. Context. That's what I'm saying. I, and I appreciate it, but I feel like I'm sinning every time. I'm like, yes, I'm gonna come on, and I'm gonna like, I have no background context. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, well,
0: but uh, I think it's important though because I think that's how a lot of people consume superhero mm-hmm. stories these days. But and you, and you stay on top of all of them, yeah. Like, like you see everything.
2: Yeah, no, I. I You've watched the
0: Snyder Cut multiple times, which holy cow, I don't know how you do it. I mean, it's I good. and I liked it, but I still would. i like, it I, is.
2: It is my um, when I'm working in the background movie actually, because I don't have to stop. It's just to keep I think running. that was just true for Snyder running. too. <laughs> yeah. So I had no context for Miguel going into this.
0: What did you make? What did you make of the character just in general?
2: I think that he is a very interesting um, component to that predestination free will conversation because he, when he discovered the multiverse, so he had lost his family. He's entered the multiverse. He's now trying to force a change to his story that he cannot do because I I, I watched a couple days ago I remember exactly what happened but um, either way it fails for him and now he's bitter and now he's angry and now he's making all the other Spider-Man follow their their story to the beat and so I think it's just really interesting.
0: Did any of you guys notice that uh, he was the one who's like oh yeah if you don't follow the canon events that's when the universe gets all falling apart but actually the thing I mean Miles even points it out. No that wasn't the canon thing that the spot I, I just fought him. That was, that's why the whole universe is sinking into the ground. Right. Like mm. the unreliable narrator piece. Just come, You know what I mean? Like it's, he's, Miguel well, is like saying, yeah, true well, from we'll, his at, perspective. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. But his perspective is significantly more narrow than he's willing to admit.
4: Right. Mm. And his, mm. he,
2: everything, he, he's very literal. It's, everything is literal. So it's what I think is gonna be really interesting is now we're gonna be going into, like we're talking about Gwen Stacy's story. How literal is the death of the captain? Does right. he have to die? Or because he died a philosophical death, has that fulfilled that component of her story?
0: Mm. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. I hadn't even thought
3: about that. He died as a captain. Was that enough? Or does it? Yeah. yeah. This is a good question.
0: And is that a, is that sort of signaling very clever? Cause I hadn't even considered it, but is that signaling perhaps maybe the way that miles is able to solve? Cause you know that inevitably that's going to be a question. In the third movie is, is miles's dad going to make it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a, an interesting way to get out, like to, to ride around that, I guess, that I'm curious. That's all I'm saying. It's clever. Um, Joshua, you know <laughs> a lot more about Miguel O'Hara from the comics. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know who he, I know generally who he is, as in I've seen him as like, I've read Wikipedia articles. I've, <laughs> he's appeared in video games I've played, and I think his costumes is cool.
3: stamped Spider-Man 2099 number one issues still to this day. So tell us, uh, maybe a short version, but tell us a little more. Like, what's his deal? Like, what should we know? So for this movie, I don't think anything. Okay, like, like, um, I do think in a really broad way. He, he, it well, Let me just tell you about him from the comic book a little bit. So there was a um, early '90s. There was a big publishing push at Marvel for their 2099 books. They had several. They were like doing a whole other universe but in a cyberpunk future of the year 2099. And Spider-Man was the flagship of that, but there was also an X-Men 2099, a Punisher, a Ravage, woof. Uh, (laughs) There was a lot, there was a lot. Um, Not a a Doom 2099, that was, anyway, really, that is gonna matter for Spider-Man things, I'll be back. So the deal is he is is a high-ranking scientist for Alchemax, he is their rising star. He is sort of that. It was way too early for this uh, st- tech bro stereotype, but it would have been like that. But with like bioengineering, with genetic
0: engineering. Which Alchem X, again, for listeners who maybe weren't paying super close attention, that is the company that built the collider in the first movie and also therefore the company that the spot works for.
4: Mm.
3: Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, that's the the cover. Alchem X was the, the cover that Dr. Octopus in the first Spider-Verse movie was working under that. Uh, That business originates in the comics as this future megacorp because that's a big, you know, cyberpunk thing. And uh, he's trying, Miguel is trying to genetically engineer a new round of super people because there haven't been superheroes for a while. His boss is like, yeah, to sell to the army. And when Miguel finds that out, he's like, oh, really? I quit, actually. And his boss doses him with a drug that bonds to you at the genetic level. So Miguel goes down to his lab and is going to rewrite his own DNA from now with one from two days ago when he's not addicted to this drug. This was to keep him working for the company. And his boss comes in and goes, no, and hits a bunch of buttons. And he winds up getting the spider genome like laid over it. So he does escape being addicted to this drug, but he is infected with spider powers.
0: And also a vampire.
3: Well, so because he was rewritten at the genetic level. His, he has spider powers, but they work differently than Peter's, which sometimes are kind of borderline magic, right? He does have like a, a, spiders climb things with hairs off of their legs that hook into the thing that they're climbing on. They did this to Miguel with, he has those claws on the ends of his fingers and his, and his toes. So he literally like digs into the side of the building when he climbs rather than kind of a magical spider sense. Like his eyes he are like bigger and more sensitive to light and have more receptors in them. So everything he sees moves gently in slow motion like that kind of that kind of stuff. So they introduce some and sometimes he gets fangs and has venom that he can inject in people because that's a thing that spiders do. Like there's he doesn't have web shooters. He actually makes his own. That was the original biological weapon. OK. Or I'm sorry, mm-hmm. the uh, webbing, biological webbing was from him. So, Yeah.
0: I'm excited uh, to see more from the next one, Laurent, What was your take on this character?
1: I I, I I saw that while in the the story that we're watching, that it he feels like the antagonist. A lot of what he's again, a lot of what he wants, I feel like the other characters want as well. But his and his specific conflict in general would derail everyone else's you know mm-hmm. decisions, and I find that interesting because if you look at all of their conflicts with like a bird's eye view you can see like he's grief stricken. He sees that a choice that he made cause had really lasting long ramifications and that this potentially could do the same, you know, so he's trying to stop, you know, uh, Miles from doing it, but he has very good intentions for why he shouldn't, you know? And so, um, but then, then do we allow him, you know, Miles to allow his father, you know, his father to die, you know? So it's just one of those things where I love the complexity. I love the conflict there because, it does put us in a weird spot, you know, um, we're choosing what's the, what is the right choice is the choice to let him, you know, do what he thinks is right for his life or to think about the larger, the larger picture here. And I don't have an answer for that, which is better, you know, Mm. um, because whose in story are you more invested in, you know, like, but, um, but it makes for a really interesting layered conflict. I think so.
3: I wanted to say, uh, why well, you don't need any of that comic book stuff. I can from the writer's standpoint, when they were casting around for a kind of joyless version of Spider-Man that is willing to take as much power, like literal mm-hmm. power, in order to do the right thing, Miguel fits that bill. Okay. So uh if you know, just eventually, first of all, he is relatively joyless. He does not make jokes and and all that stuff, even in his regular Uh, Before the bigger character shifts. But at a certain point, he actually takes over as CEO of Alchemax because he thinks he can fix it from the inside. And then when Doom 2099 becomes president, (laughs) sort of, of the United States, like he takes a position in Doom's cabinet because he thinks if I just take more and more of this – if I take on more great power, greater and greater power – then I will be able to more effectively handle my great responsibility. So Just, not the same character like in this movie between the comic book. But if they were casting around for somebody that they could, you know, cut that coat to fit, he he works for he that works out. and has um, at least the beginnings of a really great look that they perfected in the movie. His his movie look is way better than his comic book look.
0: Yeah, and he looks great. Very visually striking, and I didn't realize – because I was uh, talking to my fiance Lauren, about this after the movie. She she thought there was something weird about why he moved differently that they didn't explain. But the way you've already kind of laid it out, Mm -hmm. his wall crawlers are just fundamentally different than Mm -hmm. everyone else's. Okay,
3: There's also – so I think it's worth saying, uh, costuming-wise, like looking at all these different spiders' men, um, there was a conversation – um, in online spaces about like what what is the the most important part of Spider-Man's costume like what is the thing you have to have for somebody to immediately recognize that it's a Spider-Man costume and it can't just be like a spider emblem because a bunch of people have that you know you can start thinking about things like silhouette like uh, mm-hmm. like Batman's silhouette. Um, but what we really landed on looking at the different costumes that Peter or Ben Riley have had is it's those big it's the eyes like it's the featureless mm-hmm. face and those eyes. Mm-hmm. And you notice that I think I only saw it once and boy, everything's happening a lot. But that's almost everybody's deal, whether they're digital or what, but not Miguel's mm-hmm. mm. like he has scary face markings yep. that suggest eyes, but are not these big, wide open Eyes that make an otherwise creepy character more open and friendly and able to emote more in yeah. the animation. Um, so that's another way that uh, that he had a big fucking skull on his chest in the comics because it was the early 90s. And they've really stylized that much more into a spider, which is a good choice. But I love that they did not change any of his mask markings mm. because I do think that it it does separate him from the other Spider-Men and makes him a more sinister just to look at mm-hmm. version.
0: I uh, I really like the character as voiced here. Um, I thought Oscar Isaac was a great casting choice for for the role. He's got that enough enough warmth that you can kind of trust him a little bit, but also enough menace that you're like, oh, this guy, this guy don't mess around, sort of thing, you know. Um, so I, great casting, great visual, uh, and I'm really excited to see what they do with the character in the next movie because I, I think he's my g- hunch is he's probably gonna be featured more prominently in the next one. I think there's gonna be the talking about the trilogy, trilogy rules. We're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get some more of that unexplained backstory. Even kind of alludes to it. Whatever universe he wiped out or, or whatever. I Peter B. Parker is at least familiar or aware of it. We don't get any more information on that. I'm I'm sure there's a hint more tragedy there. Um okay, so cameos you mentioned Ben Riley, mm-hmm. voiced by Andy Sandberg, by the way um what a choice they they, they were the cat the voice cast for this was out of control they, yeah, they yeah. just everybody but Andy Sandberg as Ben Riley, as the whiny Spider-Man was hysterical well okay I don't know whiny is fair very
3: the way they, angsty angsty
0: there we go that's, that's
3: because the art style is extremely 90s Spider-Man comics on purpose um all that angsty vibe. Uh, although he was the less angsty Spider-Man in the comics. In the 90s. Yeah. So I, he's circled back around to be more angsty now because so, we never let anything lie.
0: I uh, don't want to give a... I'll give a very shortened version for you guys because you'll find this entertaining and only further evidence that the 90s comic books were weird. And Joshua, if you want to clarify <laughs> a couple of things. So Ben Riley was a clone of Peter Parker <laughs> that was then revealed to be actually the real Peter Parker that they then later, Joshua, correct me if I'm wrong, Retconned is people did not like that, 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 that detail. So they then later retconned. Oh, actually, he really was just a clone.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We lost our minds. So they tried to let Peter and MJ ride off into the sunset and let, but so they get a happy ending and they're, they're not dead. They just move to the Pacific Northwest to have their child and live on. But we need a Spider Man. So they reintroduce Ben Riley. He's a clone. They thought he was. We've all thought he was dead since the 70s. No, actually, I got away, and I just didn't want to disrupt your life because I'm the clone. Now I'm back. I'm doing Scarlet Spider stuff. Oh, we find out that Ben is actually the original Peter, and they got mixed up and switched in the first story so that we could keep reading about the real Peter Parker when the other one rode off into the sunset. We all lost our (laughs)
0: ever-loving minds, So, and they put it back. So... So that is a one story of the spider. <laughs> one Every story. one of them one in story. this movie uh, has For the one. record, I love the Scarlet Spider costume though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I, I it is one of my favorite iterations of the Spider-Man costume that it's just this like
0: spider hoodie over a red unitard. Yeah. But visually, love it. Mm. Love it. It uh it definitely sets itself apart from most of the other Spider-Man in the movie. So so real quickly, and, and this is actually a big question, Joshua. I know you and I before we started recording were like asking there's a lot of stuff going on here. Do we need it? Well, let's see. This movie is loaded with just basically infinite, seemingly infinite number of cameos and Easter eggs referencing uh, the Tom Hardy Venom universe. Shows up, <laughs> and I actually had to like fact check that. So when whenever they go into the little Asian woman's the grocery store, yeah, that okay. was that was a Venom thing. Um, if you haven't watched the Venom movie, I was seriously like, "What in the hell is this?" No, oh, I bet this is Venom. I, that was <laughs> so I'd, I'd only seen the first Venom one time. In theaters, whenever that was, like five years ago or whatever. And even I was like, this has to be, this is so dumb, it has to be. <laughs> um, we also get uh, Donald Glover's never before seen Prowler costume, right? That was so, so, uh, Spider Man MCU fans, which there aren't very many of us at this table, I guess, actually. But, uh, you know, we got Donald Glover and Spider Man Homecoming. Setting up a, oh, he's obviously going to turn into the Prowler. Hey, my nephew lives in that neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Wink. And they never pay it off, like most of the things in that trilogy.
3: Uh, uh, never say never. It took them three movies to get to a place where they could just do a Spider-Man movie. Who knows what they will do? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I already mentioned uh, Ben Parker, uh, Andy Sandberg, Lego Spider-Man, Spider-Horses. Joshua, is Spider-Horse a real thing? I don't think so. I mean, I can't definitively
3: say no because there was a story that extremely loosely inspired this idea called Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse in the comics where a lot of the cameos were just there to show that there's weird stuff. So I'm not going to be able to definitively tell you that there was not a cowboy Spider-Man with his horse that could also climb walls,
0: (laughs) But, but I don't think so. We do know that there is a Lego Spider-Man, though. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. That and apparently right. he's one of the best, according <laughs> to the Scarlet Spider. Or uh, Scarlet Spider- uh, I kind of uh, feel
3: 29. like that was a Lego Batman joke. Because the Lego Batman movie is low-key. Oh, amazing. The yeah, 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 and maybe the best Batman movie. Like, maybe, honestly, the best Batman movie. I, would, I think there's an argument for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh,
0: so I was like, oh, that's cute. I think that's what we're doing. So my question is, with all these cameos, we could spend thrill it another hour talking about the literally just listen them off. How does this movie use the abundance of Spider-Man lore to meaningfully examine
1: the characters in a fresh way? Or maybe they don't. Lauren, I'm going to start with you. I think they do. I liked, I loved getting to see each individual cause it's not, it doesn't become a gimmick. I mean, you meet every character and you get to see the conflict that each of them have. And I think it, again, it, it expands upon it makes Spider-Man a symbol and much bigger than any one person any one character and we're not focused so much on the the narrative that we're so used to um, with Peter Park. like literally he's literally not an afterthought but he's 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 in the peripheries of this story because it's not his story and it just shows you that the mask is something but it, it symbolizes something different and in it and everyone again is their own complex individual that has their own conflict and their own um, issues And so I think that seeing the multitude of different ways that we can – what different lenses that we can see into this character really made the the character of Spider-Man so much more interesting to me than it has been, you know, just in general throughout this whole series. So um, I think that it it really made him – the character more layered. And so I appreciated the varied perspectives even when they conflict with one another. So.
0: Especially when you take the core tenets of who Spider-Man yeah. is and apply them on this yeah. very broad thematic philosophical scale of free will versus predestination. What's Spider-Man's take? Yeah. Who is he? Like, You know what I mean? Uh, and I think the movie's really interested in even exploring that. And the, uh, the only way you're able to do that is by looking at the common denominators between mm-hmm. these
1: what It's the something that connects them, but there's also things very unique to them. Right. You know? And so, yeah, makes it very interesting.
0: Chelsea, uh, what do you think? Did the uh, cameos kind of add value to the story or the ideas?
2: I mean, I always love a good cameo. I think it does um, because, like Laurent said, it kind of gives you all the different lenses and the different ways to look at it. Um, What really kind of grabbed my attention, though, was a line that Miguel said, which was, like, you weren't supposed to wear the mask Mm. because you got bit. All these are obviously were spoilers, but, like, you got bit by a spider that's from a different universe. So that Mm. that one doesn't have a – that one doesn't have – a Peter Parker.
0: That's true. And so. if you hadn't done that, your Spider-Man would still be alive.
2: Right. Or Peter so, Parker, rather. Yeah. And so we're seeing, we're looking at Miles through Peter's lens or, you know, because it's, I mean, how much of this is is his story? So does he even have, is he beholden to the Spider-Man story because he wasn't originally supposed to be Spider-Man?
1: And can he shake things up or is that yeah. is that actually going to change anything? Because it's, he's not, he doesn't have this, he didn't come to it the same way everyone else did, mm-hmm. so...
0: And, and he must be contr- And the the Spider-Man 299 Miguel's perspective is if we can't predict it, we have to figure out how to contain it, which is why they didn't even want him to be looped mm-hmm. into this whole Spider-Man mm-hmm. use academy or whatever. Yeah. Joshua, uh, I know this was something you were, were kind of hinting at earlier. What, what do you think about the use of cameos and Easter eggs? I think that the cameos that we really camp on
3: absolutely expand our understanding of Spider-Man as a character through the lens of. Uh, people other than variations of Peter. So when we go to uh, the Indian Spider-Man's universe, um, I don't think he has an Uncle Ben. Like no, not he, he does not – he is not rooted in tragedy. His origin appears to not be rooted in tragedy. The first tragedy he was going to have was the loss of his police captain, whereas that's like the 47th tragedy that Peter Parker had had. And like, oh, what do you know? Cool. And then five minutes after that, he's going to lose Gwen. Two mm-hmm. comic book, Peter. Um, so I, I do. I really like different versions of a character that has sort of become archetypal and stereotypical. We get to ask questions about uh, like at a meta level. What is a core concept of Spider-Man? What is it does? I would have said he needs to be rooted in some kind of tragedy. Like that's kind of baked into the best Spider-Man because that gets us to some place where he realizes that his responsibility is more Than his arms reach, you know, Um, but we can play with a variation of that in our Indian Spider Man who does not have that, and then they take away as a mistake, according to Miguel, his the one tragedy he was going to have, still seems fine, you know. Um, So I don't think that I. So I would say, like if I were making an argument, like I still think that a tragic origin and some sacrificing your own wants for. The needs of many—that's a core Spider-Man concept. Does he have to be like really a sad bastard about it? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And here's Indian Spider-Man to to Proof show that. us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I want to see a hundred
0: happy-go-lucky Spider-Man? No. One or two. Yeah. Okay. You know, show me for contrast. Right. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting. Um, I, you and I used to talk uh, on the on an anime discussion mostly about Batman and Superman, but we talk about superheroes in general. And, and I think one of the things that always stuck out to me was how. There has to be sacrifice. One of the things that you point out is a core to Spider-Man is the mm. sacrifice. Cause even this Spider-Man, Indian Spider-Man, does have that. He's trying to save his, his girlfriend. Yeah. While he also is trying to save the captain, but can not. Watching can't her save- dad right. die, right? Yeah. Is how mm-hmm.
3: that would have gone if exactly. the rest of the Spider people hadn't been there, which is a super duper Spider Man move. Like the who do I say who do I need to save more is a pure Spider Man question. Mm. Right. Right.
0: There's there's, there's two. I, I want to be able to do. And, and I think Miles is even put, posing this question. I want to be able to save everyone. Who are you to tell me I have to pick? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I. so that kind of brings me to the question. I, I feel like Miles, all these other spider people have just accepted. This is who Their I face. am. Yeah, and he's doing. saying, but why? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to do that? And I just find that really fascinating. Because we see that he is the one who saves Indian Spider-Man just by, just by simply being present,
4: mm-hmm. you
3: know? Yeah. So, I, it'll be interesting to see how much that first anomaly is sort of there in fiction reason for him to be able to upset the apple cart, you know? Yeah. Um, that That's kind of how I feel like where it's going, which is why a dark version of him that probably should have been that universe's Spider-Man. but. The spider was stolen. Right. And it, and he went way bad and became the prowler. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, that's me starting to kind of figure out how the threads from this one are going to carry over into the next one. Yep. Uh, because we do still have some pretty big philosophical questions to to answer.
0: Well, we'll see, and that's the, again, the, the big part with the, uh, where they break it at and, and how it works is the movie, I don't think, the movie introduces some theses mm-hmm. and it finds a good stopping point, but then, says, adds a comma to it, mm-hmm. or a, a semicolon, yeah. and then you get an incomplete sentence after that semicolon, and it's hard, I, I feel like the movie does not satisfa- uh, satisfactorily answer a lot of the questions it puts out, only because it chooses to go because on, because it, yeah. it keeps going, because then it says, oh wait, but there's this other thing, but we're not going to talk about that fully, <laughs> but just enough for you to be like, wait, wait, I thought we just wrapped it up, and it's you a, know? it's a small, th- it's not
3: non-existent but it is not the main thread in the first movie but they even bring it out with the spider ham quote like the only thing we heard from spider-man was in somebody's flashback when he was like the thing you have to come to realize in this job is you can't save everybody
1: yeah
3: and i and i i think where they're going with miles is he knows he can't save everybody but he ought to try and that the rest of the spider-man had kind of gone awry
0: by deciding no there's some of these we don't need to try on so related to the cameos, more of a – less into the themes or the ideas, more just practically. I'm sorry, guys. The live-action incorporations, I just – It was rough. I was rough. I mean, it didn't like – does not hurt the movie. It's not a detractor. But uh, I don't think it really added anything. I didn't need to see all the live-action Uncle Ben's at various places dying on the screen at one time. Donald Glover was kind of cute only because it was like an un, uh, an unfulfilled promise that we'd gotten in the previous movie. But I also didn't really feel like that added too much. I feel like where they're trying – they're overselling the fact that the spider man are all connected by mm. bringing in these live-action adaptations into the animated film. Um, I don't know. Did that, but am, I, am I the one who was bothered by that? I thought it was kind of weird.
1: I know what they're trying to do. I don't think it was necessary. It's kind of like – and this is kind of a really terrible example. But th- – joker for example um was supposed to be its own thing you know and i think you could enjoy it if it was going to be its own thing and not try to connect in any way to you know and when they decided to insert the scene of um the parents dying you know into it it was like i thought you guys told us this wasn't going to go in the into that you know that dc route where this is going to be a connective tissue sort of thing um I feel like that's kind of like this was its own thing. It was separate from those worlds. And I think that's what we enjoyed about the first, the the, the most previous thing is that it, it did have its own unique style and its own tone. But now you're seeing that studio meddling coming in where like let's connect everything together. Let's just keep making money on this and have all the threads keep coming in. But then the thing is if you introduce it, then it's a slippery slope because then it's like we have to keep calling back to it. You can't just one-off it here and then like – you know what I mean? Like it's like yeah. it become it feels gimmicky. It's like I know what they're trying to do and for like a fraction of a second, yeah, it is kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool. Until you realize in the context of this world, it actually feels divorced but in yeah. that it shouldn't have been introduced that way. That's how I feel about it.
0: But yeah, I'd agree. Chelsea or Josh, any other thoughts about live action integrations of some of these characters?
2: I don't think I really cared one way or another too much about it. Like, I mean, I know what they're trying to do. They're connecting it. They're showing, I mean, because they are a version of Spider-Man. They have a story. They have different story beats. We, we need to see how their their interpretations might affect Miles later on. I just don't. I, I think the bigger question is now that we have had that edition, I mean, the the, the Tom Holland Spider-Mans are Sony. So. This is Sony, so it's like, what is the, what is the slippery slope? Is this yeah. is this the miles that we're going to see introduced in the exactly MCU? Yeah. right?
0: Yeah. And that's yeah. where, and that's that's well, that's the other area it gets dicey is these are Sony movies, but and they did do a multi, they are doing multiverse stuff in the MCU. Mm-hmm. But if you were to ask Kevin Feige, is Tom Hardy's Venom? In the MCU, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he would Absolutely look you in the eye not. and just not even answer the question. He would be like, I don't
3: know her. I don't know her. <laughs> I don't know
0: her. <laughs> and, and I feel like this is another, it felt to me like another layer of them being like, yeah, see, this is, this is all part of the- It's all connected. The, to the yeah. super successful thing. And I'm like, you've done such a great job establishing this animated version. Uh, and yeah, endless. it does technically- I get the whole idea of the multiverse and the different types of animation and the live action, but I just it feels like it's like them just pushing a little too hard to remind us of
1: pandering a little too much, a little too fan service-y, without it actually adding any value to what we're watching in front of us. So
3: as I've been the story guy this whole time, I can tell you I actually didn't like them starting at a visual area. Like we talked about all this work that they did to make these disparate animation styles work together on screen. And it looks like they did none of that for the live action people. They just put them in there.
0: Yeah. Like on the volume or something. Yeah.
3: And here, here we go. It's a live action person. And so they stuck out in a way that nobody else did. I enjoyed all these other like, yep. Kind of know that one. Oh yeah. Kind of remember that one. And then I have to camp on these live action people because they look like crap. Hmm. And then I'm sitting there thinking,
0: More and bigger thoughts like, oh, studio, please Mm -hmm. don't, you know. Yeah, maybe a nitpick. I just was curious if that was something that out to you guys. Um,
3: The only one I would have said retain beyond a shadow of a doubt is Donald Glover. And that's mostly just because his ride with being like – are you guess familiar with this, that like there was this huge <coughs> outgrowth when they announced a new MCU Spider-Man that they were like, just get Donald Glover to be Miles. You know, right. it was like, right oh, yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it took on a life of its own to the point where it was like, oh, shit, that might actually happen just because it's being asked for so hard. But then it took long enough to get going. They decided to go in some different directions. And so that his cameo as maybe so, they never say Miles, he just says my nephew's in that neighborhood and stuff like that. To fully having him in Prowler is uh, Donald Glover's a giant nerd, he deserves it. Let him let him have the moment. <laughs> oh, sure, you know, it was more for him than for us. There you go, yeah, yeah
0: absolutely. <laughs> um, last question before we wrap up because we've been talking about this movie for a couple hours now. Uh, two hours and 20 minutes, yet. Um, longer than maybe ever, yeah. We're getting pretty close. Okay. All right, um, where do you ho- uh, hope or expect this third entry to go? I mean, just in general, you, you can get as specific or be as broad as you want, LeRon.
1: I, I no, I should say for all the griping that I that I and some of us are doing about this this tail end button that we get of the first movie of the next film, I like what they've introduced. I'm very intrigued by what they introduced. I just think they've they've shown their hand too quick, you know. And I think that that would have had much more of an emotional impact had we waited to see it. But that being said, I do like. Um, the introduction of this dark sided miles, because I think there's, there's real potential there, you know, to see the duality of miles, the character. And what about this character are we going to be invested in? And what is it going to say about, you know, the miles that we've followed so far, you know, like, um, wh- how do they, how do they converge? What is the, what's the thing that connects them? Is this going to be a, Black Panther, you know, uh Killmonger situation where they're fighting for very similar cause but mm. but there's but they're going about it very differently. The Malcolm X versus, you know, Martin Luther King duality here. I if they go that route with it, I'll be very intrigued by um what they do with that character. So all that to say I don't know what I want from it, but I would at least like to see Some kind of connective tissue between the two of them that makes it a little bit difficult for us to reject the dark side of Miles. I like –
0: I'm kind of hoping along those lines similarly, uh, introducing the dark Miles character. He – I mean Miles makes some big choices in this movie to go – to buck the system, uh, to go against the grain, to challenge the status quo and maybe – just on a philosophical – It would be interesting to see if Dark Miles kind of shows the counter argument to his because he's one of the protagonists. So obviously, what he did was right. Yeah, maybe Mm. we're able to see the challenge to that, but not from you know the Peter Parker Spider Man, but like a very real like this is the life you could have had sort of thing. I I don't know. As long as he's
1: not one note, that's all I want. Yeah. As long as he's a layered villain, then I think it'll be it'll be worth. Chelsea, what do you think?
2: Um, I want to see Miles break the mold. I want to see him fall firmly on the side of free will i think he's he's, yeah go team free will i think he's i think hopefully they're gonna they're gonna take the canon argument and because i think that potentially we might be getting to the point where even the live actions are a little too beholden to canon and they're hopefully going to use this as an argument to just kind of start tossing it out the window
0: I, I think so. I think that's what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I like it. Also, we somehow went this entire two hours and 20 minutes without talking about the anti-establishment Spider-Man, Spider-Punk, uh, voiced by Daniel Kalula.
1: Fantastic. Oh, my yep. gosh. Just love yeah. that so guy. So great. I thought that guy was already too cool for school, like in life. <laughs> yes. You know, like just <laughs> in all the movies he's done. He's always got – he has this this weird, dark charm about him. Yes. And apparently he can do that even with his voice. Mm. You know, oh, like, yeah. So – um, I immediately knew it was him, but he adds another, you know, another layer to that character that I thought was a lot of fun. Yeah. So and one I of just, my favorite voice voices. he
0: was so good. I love how it just it didn't really. He just like stuck his finger in there. And which way is the wind blowing? I'm going to do the opposite of, of that. that. Yeah. yeah. It's so great. Very good. Josh, what do you want to see in the next one?
3: Uh, one thing I, I really love about uh, superhero stuff, multiverse stuff is um, when you get. Uh, an evil version of yourself, right? Like it's one thing to get an opposite number. Like, Oh, that person is very similar to me, but I went this way and they went that way, which like, that's a lot of Batman's villains. It's we've mentioned some of the dark side of science. It's a lot of Spider-Man's best villains, but when you are confronted with literally you, but evil, you have a, there is soul searching, you know, that, that would happen. And these are action stories. So those should be, we should tell our story punching, you know, Um, I don't want a long dark tea time of the soul for miles. I want it to be dealt with in an argument with evil miles while they beat each other up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um At the risk of, uh, of being totally off base. I'm just thinking about how they can bring in the dark miles, the evil miles in and still save dad is that, I think that's going to be the crux. I think that that uh, our Miles, Spidey Miles will drag Prowler Miles into his own universe and the opportunity to save his dad will be uh, a version of his dad. Uh, Prowler Miles will save a version of his dad, which will shake him loose and he'll go back to be. You know, hopefully a heroic version of the Prowler or maybe they'll trick him out with just like spider tech or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. But I want Miles to save everybody. Like at the end of the day, I want Miles to save everybody. Knowing you can't save everybody. We did that already. Let him save everybody in this one. What's the what's the doctor who just this once everybody lives? Mm -hmm. I want. Yeah, that's what I want. And what including Dark Miles.
0: And what are the implications of saving everybody? Because I think that's that's see that's the big concern of the Spider Academy is like if you do that, it's going to wreck stuff. Maybe there aren't no ramifications. Maybe, maybe there aren't. Maybe they're wrong. <laughs> maybe they're wrong. Maybe that separates.
3: Maybe that diverges them so much that they can't just visit each other all the time. Mm-hmm. And then because then we come back to a Spider Man sacrifice. Because then there's Miles and Gwen who are clearly into each other and wish that there was another Spider Person that they could. Spider around with, you know, uh, but if they choose to stay together, then one or the other universe doesn't get a Gwen slash Miles or doesn't get a Spider-Man slash woman, you know, so we can still get like a Spider-Man sacrifice at the end. Because that's what I kind of think is, oh, yeah, we can actually change all of this, but it separates us so much we right. can't just visit. Right. We undo a multiverse, and now we have a series of parallel universes as opposed to this <laughs> well, web I, of destiny. I guess
0: that's my point. I think if he's going to save everyone, I, and I made, that's a good that's a good route. like There needs to be an outcome, positive or negative, but there needs to be ramifications to it mm-hmm. to make things a little more complex than, oh, yeah, we're all great awesome. Also like, not for nothing
3: separating that out so that you can't do a multiverse st- story anymore leaves us open to other movies with this version of Miles. Oh yeah. That's just a Spider-Man just a Spider-Man movie that isn't tied into this larger mythology. Anybody else who catches on, we could get uh, a Gwen spin-off, mm-hmm. you know, a whole movie that's just focused on her. Uh, That's actually how she became a thing at all. She was a background character very poorly used in the Spider-Verse comics. And everybody was like, her costume's dope as hell. Can we know more? She drums for a band called the Mary Janes. Can we know more about her, please? You know, So like, let some of those other characters maybe even get... I mean, I don't want a glut of Spider-People movies. But if anybody's going to do it, I want this to be the crew that does it. And they don't have to be locked into Miles. And they don't have to be locked into the Spider-Verse. If there's a hard decision at the end of, we can save everybody... But we don't get to hang out anymore.
0: Right. Right. Well, listeners, there you have it. There are our thoughts on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Stay tuned until next year when we're back with our reviews of part three. Really (laughs) curious to see where this one goes. Really excited for it. It's uh, quickly moving up to the most anticipated movies for me next year. Um, well, uh, before we wrap up, uh, I want to say thanks to each one of you for taking time. We're recording this on a Sunday uh, afternoon for So taking time out of your Sunday afternoon to come and chat Spider-Man with us for a couple of hours. Um, Hey, sign off and let our listeners know where they can keep up with you and your work uh, online or, uh, Joshua, who's no, no longer online. <laughs> if, if there's somewhere they can... online <laughs> as much as possible, a mailing address and no, actually not a mailing address. Oof, <laughs> that, that sounds right. no. pals. <laughs> LaRon Chapman, where can people follow you in your work?
1: Uh, you can follow all my reviews on Letterbox at Black underscore CenA underscore Man. And then, if you just care to see my daily musings on Facebook and Instagram, you can just follow me under my name.
0: Awesome, Chelsea
1: Radaman.
2: Yes, uh, you can find me on the Unregulated Suspect that is Twitter um, <laughs> at Cessier Every Day. Cessier Every Day. Yes, um, at Cinophile Chelsea, and you can also follow me on Instagram under the same handle.
0: All right. Uh Chelsea's a great follower, especially if you're into Oklahoma politics and random pop culture oh It's great. It's great. Uh Joshua Unruh, what uh I know you're like not online as much anymore, but is there a place? A website okay. perhaps. People- There's
3: a couple of places. Okay. So my website is the place. J uh com, J-O-S-H-U-A-U-N-R-U-H a dot com. That's mostly about, like, the fiction that I have written. So if I sound like I know anything about storytelling, I got books. Go buy them, please. (laughs) Um, Also, I'll be at SoonerCon uh, sharing a table with Robot House Creative, selling all kinds of awesome pop cultural stuff, including – Uh, physical copies of my books. I am occasionally on Twitter. Basically, my rule is it's not on my phone. I can look at it on a desktop. And the minute that I get mad, I have to leave for the rest of the day. (laughs) It's a good rule. Yeah, it's so So, far. Yeah, 30
0: seconds a day every time you log on. uh, It
3: it varies. You know, uh, how much time do I have to stare at it? And then, you know, who the main character of Twitter is that day will impact that seriously. But if you really take any issue with anything I've said today, agree, disagree, At Joshua Unruh on Twitter. I will see it sometime. (laughs) It will not be quickly, most likely,
0: but I'll be there eventually. That's right, listeners. So hit him up with your random Spider-Man opinions there, and he might get back to you. Or... At least in the next Spider Verse, maybe in
1: the next nine months. Yep.
0: Um, you can also follow me <laughs> on uh, Letterboxed Instagram and Twitter at C Talk. That's Letter C Masters Talk. Uh, or you can keep up with all the work we do here uh, on the Cinematic Schematic over at the Cinematropolis This was so much fun. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. We'll catch you again later this week, or you know tomorrow if you're listening a day of with our exclusive Dead Center Film Festival coverage. We'll catch you again next time.